0: Nate Marchand, personal journal. So, in the last few months of trying my hand at industrial espionage, I've participated in cover-ups, thrown both my producer and pseudo-sister under the bus, and learned a lot of nothing about what my nefarious boss is doing behind the scenes. (sighs) Maybe Jessica was right about me trying to play hero. But I know Winter's dealings on the island aren't exactly legal, and as much as I don't like the board, he has to go. I can't stop now. I'm in too deep. So i all look good on a resume, right? Assuming I survived a right one. Anyway, Jess still hates me. What else is new? But Jimmy's been nicer, much to my surprise. I visit him a couple times a week at the island's detention center he's in a cell next door to the zillion woman. She spends most of her time resting, so most everyone calls her Sleeping Beauty. Those rare times she is awake, she's having a meltdown, begging to hear the controller's voice. Only Jimmy can calm her. I know she isn't the Miss Namikawa, but Jimmy has definitely tapped into his inner astronaut Glenn with her. They'd be a cute couple if they weren't in jail. They haven't been moved to the mainland because the legal action team's been able to delay it. But Raymond keeps telling me he can't do it forever. I need dirt on winter yesterday. Ugh. Anyway, I went to work this morning upset but feeling emboldened as I talked to myself about all of this on my way to Mr. Gold's office to deliver some weekly reports. Ugh, what's wrong with Jess? Doesn't she and the others see everything I'm doing? Heck, what, I'm risking to expose Winter and find out why don't Godzilla's green earth is happening to our island. Sure, my best friend is in jail and Jess lost her job. I'll find a way to fix those problems later. But sometimes sacrifices have to be made for the greater good. If reading comic books has taught me anything, it's that. And even if Winter wasn't some evil, manipulative, money-grubbing bastard, who is she to say I don't deserve to be in the position I'm in? After all I've done for this damn island, it's about time I get acknowledged for the work I've put in. I walked up to Mr. Gold's office and let out my frustration in one exhausted sigh. Then I entered the lion's den, where the lion's heads are mounted on the wall. Good morning, Mr. Gold. Here are my weekly reports. It looks like increasing our ad spend has really helped. We're currently on track to have one of the best first quarters monster Mr. Gold stood up, sipping a glass of whiskey, and looked contemplative as he gazed out the window of his 39th floor
1: office. Have a seat, Nate.
0: Would you like me to go over the list of potential new sponsors? I received a message from the director of marketing at Samsung. It looks like they are very- Nate,
1: do you recall that story that I told you when we first met? The one about the horse?
0: You tell so many stories, it's hard to keep them all straight. What's that
1: got to do with going over weekly reports? (laughs) You're right, I do. So indulge me for a moment and allow me to tell another. We're all given choices in life, Nate. I chose to leave behind my family and friends to pursue a career as the right hand to the richest man in the world. This job has allowed me to experience some of the most gorgeous places on planet Earth, this island included. But with all that beauty and opportunity comes a price. Unconditional loyalty. Which brings me to you, Nate. I need people around me I can trust. People who are loyal. To a fault. I've noticed you've been going through a lot lately, with your best friend being arrested and your relationship with your little sister being on the rocks. Pseudo-sister, sir. Regardless, you're a good man, Nate. But can I trust you? That's the $100 million question.
0: Mr. Gold, I don't take this opportunity lightly. Rest assured that you and... Cameron can trust me. I appreciate this job. And all I want is to help Monster Island be the best place on Earth to visit and to live.
1: <laughs> That's real sweet, Mr. Machan. but here's the thing. I'm not quite sure I can. Mr. Gold sat back at his desk and removed Julie,
0: his gun, from its holster and laid it on the table with the barrel pointed at me.
1: <sighs> Are we doing this again, Mr. Gold? Oh, Mr. Machan, don't worry. I ain't gonna shoot you fool me once, right? (laughs) She just gets a little heavy after a while is all. And sometimes it becomes necessary to lighten the load. And what I'm about to do for you is give you an opportunity to lighten your own load.
0: What load is that, sir? Mr. Gold opened up a folder with what looked to be images of cell phone
1: screenshots. It seems as though our team has intercepted some text messages between you and your sister. And while reading through lines of humorous and often sad sibling drama, one sentence was brought to my attention. So tell me, what does maintaining my cover mean, Nate? And I suggest you think long and hard and very carefully about your response. I felt sweat sting my pores.
0: Well, you see, sir, I...
1: Mr. Gold sat forward in his high-back leather chair. While you stumble over your words, let me tell you what it looks like to me. It looks as though we have a situation where a brother, oh pardon me, pseudo-brother, is trying to spare the feelings of his sister who just lost her job. Does that sound accurate to you, Mr. Marchand?
0: Yes, that's it, Mr. Gold. Jess was so upset by my promotion, I was willing to say anything to calm her down. We all know what happens when she gets angry.
1: <laughs> all too well. No one likes her when she's angry.
0: So, those messages you saw were just me being a good pseudo-brother and protecting her.
1: I bet you'd do just about anything to protect her, would Yes, sir. Good.
0: Mr. Gold looked like the Cheshire cat who just caught a snooping mouse. Mr. Gold, may I say one more thing? Sure. Go ahead. My pseudo-sister, eh, Jessica, she's not a bad person. She's still trying to figure things out, much like the rest of us. Please don't punish her, my friends, for honest mistakes.
1: You're a good man, Nate. But there's a reason why there are so few good men left in this world. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have one more meeting I need to get to before I can call today. Do you need anything else before I go? No, I believe I have all the information I need. Okay, sir. I got up and started walking toward the door when Mr. Gold said to me... Oh, and Nate. Don't worry. This conversation will stay between you and I. Trust me. You wouldn't want Mr. Winter to know what we know. Thank you, sir. This is received.
0: <laughs> Relieved, but mentally and emotionally exhausted and on the verge of breaking down, I took my burner phone out of my jacket pocket and dialed. Hey, Gary. Tell Raymond we all need to talk. Live from the K.I.J.U. studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault, episode 76, Alex McCumbers versus Rampage. Hello, kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment. Through Tokusatsu, I am your host, Monster Island's Media Master, Nate Marchand, but unfortunately, I still have a new producer. No, Jet, I haven't been disappointed with your service so far. I just, I just miss Jimmy, is all. Hey, Hey, save it for after the show, I'm Barely understanding what you're saying. The fact that I have picked up a little bit more on the jet speak is a little astonishing. Ah! Yes, I've been reading Jimmy's manual because of that. All right. Anyway, anyway, we've got a big ditty for you today here, kaiju lovers. And for that, I had to bring on... A new guest, a first time guest here on the podcast, the co owner of Forever Classic Games, gaming journalist, and my old Giga Geek buddy, if you smell what Alex
2: McCumbers is cooking. A lot of stuff, Nathan, man. I love cooking, and I love tokusatsu. And so here we are, cooking it up with The Rock himself in Rampage. Yeah, Rampage, yes.
0: I think. For having me, man. Yeah, I think Jet yeah. wants to know if The Rock is a kaiju. <laughs>
2: uh, he's getting there. He's definitely in proportion to some people. He's, he could be considered a, a light kaiju.
0: Yeah, I just saw some of his posts on Instagram before we went on the air about how he had to get into crazy good shape for Black Adam and uh, my
2: word. <laughs> yeah uh, the the bodybuilder and the wrestler had to get in shape to be a superhero uh-huh.
0: yes yes quite I haven't seen that of you what black Adam
2: I've- yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I haven't seen it yet either. <laughs> I'm preparing to go see the new Black Panther here in a day or two. Yeah. So yeah. that kind of takes precedence since I'm not nearly as close to movie theaters as I used to be. <laughs> well, speaking of getting
0: close to places, how did you get to the island today?
2: <laughs> well, you see, I am kind of into canoes at the moment. Canoes, <laughs> And uh, Wayward Storm kind of blew me over here. Things are fine. I don't remember seeing very many sea monsters, but I didn't run on into any of the big ones. So that's, that's a plus. A canoe, that is impressive, sir. That is impressive. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just in the middle of a hobby and wind up in new places. you got to embrace adventure. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, you, you most certainly do. And even though we've already kind of hinted at it, for those who don't know, this is the penultimate, yes, it's weird to say that now, the penultimate episode of America, 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 America amerikaiju (laughs) that never gets old but yes (laughs) amerikaiju our season theme for the monster island film vault this year and yes we're talking about rampage specifically rampage In 2017, because there are other movies called Rampage, in fact, I found out that the infamous director, Uwe Boll, tried to sue the filmmakers over this movie because he too made a movie called Rampage, I think in like 2011 or something like that. It's a weird
2: situation. It's 2018 for this film, but oh, thank goodness Excuse that me. like several cool <laughs> movies came out between like Godzilla 2014 and now. <laughs> that way, the American section is actually pretty cool. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Although it would have been very easy to spend most of the year in the 50s, I quickly found <laughs> that out. So yeah, many B- good ones. <laughs>
2: That's awesome, but I think that Rampage is a really interesting film in the context of Kaiju, not so much anything else, Yeah, (laughs) but for Kaiju fans, it's kind of like a really important movie, surprisingly, (laughs) and in my research, it's been a lot of fun figuring out, like, just how influential this movie will probably end up being. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really excited for this, like, new era of global kaiju. Yeah, for sure. And
0: the, I'm bringing you on because I, th- and I think this is actually a first on the podcast. This is a video game movie. <laughs> it is. It is technically a video <laughs> game movie. And they do pretty well with that, actually, considering the source material. <laughs> Which we'll get into that yeah <laughs> cuz it's it's got a lot of stuff from the game but it's also really different than the game <laughs> But like in a I said, good way, I would argue, yeah, yeah. But along those lines, our Toku topic, which is something that you and I have actually talked about before, see, it feels like a long time ago now. On your podcast, Forever Classic Games, yep. we we're going to be talking about kaiju in video games. In fact, a lot of My research came from Alex Rushdie. Shout out to Alex Rushdie, who we got to interview on your show for Dawn of the Monsters.
2: What a cool person. Like Alex Rushdie is, especially after listening to those talks you sent me, such a wealth of information when it comes to Kaiju stuff. Yes. And then he goes on to make, like, one of the better kaiju games we've ever seen in, in Dawn of the Monsters. And he was super friendly whenever we chatted with him. That's one of my favorite, like, interview episodes. So definitely follow Alex Rushdie. And he continues to be, like, as far as we know, the person who owns the most copies of the uh, the, the, the other American Godzilla yeah, movie. The Godzilla 98
0: VHS. <laughs> Apparently he must yep. collect them all. <laughs> it's like it's like hopefully he's not doing what uh, I don't know if they're doing it anymore because this company is now defunct but screw attack that used to be their thing they were collecting every copy of shack fu so they could destroy oh, yeah. it <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's funny how in retrospect that movie is not bad i actually really like the zilla design and i hope that we see it utilized in other things eventually hey, hey zilla
0: actually just got moved to the main island in the la- in the last year a couple of years so and i'm friends with Nick Tatopoulos and everybody else on heat, so if you want something to do after today's broadcast, let me know.
2: <laughs> Would love to see how Tatopoulos has been developing his research.
0: <laughs> I, he's been doing a lot. I can tell you that. He's, he's been doing a lot, although I just had uh, I just hung out a little bit with Randy not too long ago, so yeah, <clears throat> he's a gamer, did you know that?
2: Hmm, I did not.
0: Yes, uh, yeah, he's big. He's big into games. He likes King of Fighters, especially. Mm-hmm.
2: King of Fighters is a classic franchise that yeah. continues to surprise me.
0: Yeah, and there's a reason I'm mentioning that because one of those games that we'll have to talk about in our you know, little abridged history of kaiju games, made by S&K, and people love that one. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. The funny thing is, there is something upon re-watching this movie that I realized I could have made the toku topic about this. I could have researched this and it would have been fascinating, but I promised you Kaiju video games. So I And stuck you would to have it. had to bring
2: on an actual scientist.
0: <laughs> I'm friends with some of the scientists here too. So yeah, but Perfect, CRISPR. Yeah. yeah, but CRISPR. So but we'll talk at least a little bit about CRISPR because I totally forgot. Uh, I Forgot that CRISPR was mentioned in this movie, and then when yeah. I looked into it, I'm like, oh, they didn't make that up for the movie. Okay,
2: it's a thing. I mean, I <laughs> thought it was just jargon until you said something about it, and you know, quick Wikipedia, and I'm like, oh, yeah,
0: oh, it's a thing. Okay, it's cool, a th- it's a thing. <laughs> yes, Jet. I will get to the entertaining info dump, which apparently I have to write myself now because I don't have Jimmy to do it. Mm. Ah, such is life. I'm a writer by (laughs) trade anyway. I can handle it. It's what we do. (laughs) It's what we do. So, with that, let's get the entertaining info dump out of the way, and then we'll talk about this movie. The movie's protagonist kaiju is George, a mischievous and friendly albino western lowland gorilla. After he's exposed to Energine's mutagenic pathogen, he slowly goes to gigantic size and becomes more feral. The villains use a radio frequency to attract him and the other kaiju to Chicago, making him aggressive and single-minded. Once the transmission is stopped, he's his normal but heroic self. The vicious yet patient Ralph is a gray wolf exposed to the pathogen in Wyoming who grows to massive size. Lizzie is an aggressive and angry American crocodile exposed to the pathogen in the Everglades. They both rage when they hear the radio signal and go to Chicago to silence it. The livid, unnamed mutated rat lashes out at a scientist on the space station before the station explodes. Davis Okoye is a distrusting but loyal former soldier turned primatologist who rescued George as a baby from poachers and raised him. He advocates for George with the government despite the destruction he causes and constantly chases after George, trying to find a way to cure him of Energine's pathogen. The determined and brilliant Catherine Kate Caldwell is the disgraced scientist who joins Davis on his endeavor after months of gathering evidence against Energine. She will stop at nothing to destroy Project Rampage. Harvey Russell is the snarky, wisecracking agent of the quote-unquote other-government agency, intent on killing or capturing the rampaging monsters. However, after seeing how much Davis cares for George, he decides to help the man save the gorilla and stop Energine. The conniving and greedy Claire Wyden is the CEO of Energine, the company who developed a pathogen for Project Rampage. She wants to develop bioweapons and sell them to the highest bidder. So she intends to capture the monsters to that end. Her loyal but dim-witted brother, Brett Wyden, blindly follows her in accomplishing this goal. While there's an undeveloped, subtle romantic subplot between Davis and Kate, the human and kaiju plotlines are otherwise unified. Everything the characters do revolves around capturing, killing, or saving the monsters, who are the driving force throughout the movie. While George is violent while under the influence of the pathogen, Ralph and Lizzie are the problem. Carrie Atkins barely escapes the mutated rat before the space station explodes, releasing the pathogen, but is killed by the debris. The infected George runs amok in the nature preserve and is tranquilized by a sniper and loaded onto a Boeing C-17. Meanwhile, a private military force hired by Energine and led by a soldier named Burke go to Wyoming to recover the pathogen canister, but are killed by Ralph, who also destroys their helicopter. Claire and Brett activate a radio tower to lure the beast to Energine, and an angry George wrecks the C-17, which crashes. He soon joins Ralph, and they both destroy military tanks, Humvees, and helicopters once they reach Chicago. When Lizzie arrives, Colonel Blake authorizes a massive ordnance airburst, which will destroy half of the city. Thanks to Russell, Davis and Kate fly a stolen helicopter to Energine and infiltrate it to acquire a cure for the pathogen, but they are accosted by Claire. Claire shoots Davis, missing vital organs, but George climbs the Willis Tower and eats her. Ralph climbs the tower, which collapses under his weight. Thankfully, Kate slipped the cure into Claire's purse, so George is returned to normal. Lizzie attacks. Davis fights her with a grenade launcher while Kate drives off in a Humvee to convince Davis to call off the airstrike. The grenades wound Lizzie, but she recovers. Davis goads Ralph into fighting her, and she kills the wolf. George is impaled on a spike while fighting Lizzie. The problem is solved when Davis uses the guns on an Apache helicopter to distract Lizzie long enough for George to recover and impale the monster croc in the eye with debris, killing her. Blake sees that George is no longer hostile, and calls off the airstrike. The script by Ryan Engle, Carlton Cuse, Ryan J. Condal, and Adam Shtekiel is a sci-fi action movie with a few groups of competing characters. Some, like Atkins and Burke, are quickly dispatched, though otherwise the plot is straightforward. The special effects were primarily handled by Weta Digital under the supervision of Eric Winquist. He and his crew traveled to Chicago and took 15,000 photographs with 3D scanners to create the digital model of the Chicago Loop for the climax. They also filmed downtown Chicago with motion cameras. For reference, the artist studied the 9-11 Twin Tower collapse and imploded buildings ravaged by the 2016 Kaikawa earthquake in Weta's hometown of Wellington, New Zealand. Weta's experience with creating digital apes on King Kong 2005 and the reboot Planet of the Apes series helped them create George much faster. Jason Lyles performed as George under the tutelage of motion capture artist Terry Notary, who took a break from Avengers Infinity War to help with this project. The cast also filmed in Atlanta. Altogether, the production values are expectedly high for a typical modern Hollywood blockbuster. This is a generally light movie with moderate gravitas, although it does sometimes veer into the campy, dark humor of the video games. With its giant, often anthropomorphic animals and outrageous pseudoscience, this falls firmly into fantastical science fiction. There's nothing all that experimental in the film. Big-budget disaster movies and video game adaptations were popular at the time, so the movie follows several trends. However, it had a kaiju ape speaking in sign language before Godzilla vs. Kong. So, it is also a reinforcement of style, hearkening back to Godzilla 2014 with its monsters, King Kong 2005 with its special effects, and Transformers 2007 and San Andreas with its wanton destruction. The movie was produced to capitalize on the popularity of video game adaptations. Warner Brothers had acquired the film rights to the 1986 video game in 2009 when it bought Midway Games. To that end, it was intended to entertain a general audience as well as attract gamers and kaiju fans. When released April 13, 2018, Rampage grossed $420 million worldwide, $101 million in America, $327 million elsewhere, against a $120 million budget plus an additional $140 million for marketing. It was expected to break even in two years once other revenue streams, such as home media, were added. While it received lukewarm reviews from critics, it was generally well-received by audiences. A few forces are at play. Exploitation of nature and preservation of nature clash in Davis and George's backstory. Crony capitalism, as seen with Energine, runs up against government control as embodied by Agent Russell. Russell also hides the truth from the truth-seekers, namely Davis and Kate. Science manipulates and perverts the natural order, causing disaster. EnerGiant exploits well-intentioned scientists who sought to use their CRISPR research to create medicine. The gung-ho military butts heads with more level-headed civilians over solutions to the monster problem, which nearly leads to the total destruction of Chicago. A few themes can be mined from this blockbuster. Davis learns to trust people again thanks to Kate. Friendship is celebrated in Davis's relationship with George. The protagonists eventually learn to cooperate because they have the same goals. Only capitalism is demonized. Implicitly, tampering with nature is shown to have terrible consequences. On the other hand, science also finds a solution to the monster problem and offers potential solutions to medical conditions. Most importantly, while he is a gorilla, George proves that he is just as heroic as any human and should be respected as such. All right, let's discuss this video game kaiju movie by playing some Toku Talk. So because I'm mean like that, did you recognize the music from the show? From the Amerikaiju bit? No, 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 no. For the show's theme and the bumper music.
2: No, I know that you snuck some Pacific Rim into the theme of the Amoraki. Yes, thing, yes, which yes. I appreciate. Uh, God, played- that soundtrack is so good.
0: <laughs> it is. Have you ever played Shadow of the Colossus?
2: Oh, you've told me this before. Yeah. Yes. Okay. yes, it's so a remix I, I'm of very it. familiar with Shadow of the Colossus. I just never finished it. Okay. And it was even like a game that I meant to sit down and like do a full study on. But just, there's too many games, man. <laughs> uh, yes, I know.
0: There are too many. Kind of, which is something we're going to probably say at least a few times when we get to the Toku topic. But first, we're talking about Rampage! <laughs>
2: Rampage. Uh, uh, Surprisingly faithful to the original source material and having a lot more than I initially remembered. Like, it's it's actually a pretty okay movie.
0: uh, Yeah, I was going to ask. So what is your experience with this
2: movie? Uh, We were talking a little bit about that before we went on the air. So Rampage is really funny to me because at the time there was like a slight push for video game movies, even though we haven't really got some, like we still don't have i would argue like the big budget video game movie until maybe when the mario movie comes out right so at the time like the rock scene wait you mean the animated
0: one right
2: yes yes it actually looks pretty good (laughs) and uh, building off of that right now the coolest things that are adaptations of games are in fact animated i mean we did have sonic 2 but you know cgi character castlevania remains the best video game adaptation i've ever seen and then a close second Arcane from League of Legends, which I don't even like League of Legends. Arcane is incredible. <laughs> what, a, what a cool series. And then Edge Runners from Cyberpunk recently. But, uh, so <laughs> it's we not hard to be like- better than cyberpunk <laughs> right and thank goodness studio trigger never misses because that studio put out a really really cool story with edge runners
0: uh, yeah what was it the lolita stays i remember that big.
2: <laughs> 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 there there's a lot of really funny little bits into that whole like arc and funnily enough people really like that particular character and by the end it's just like It's a powerful show. I really recommend that one. I mean, Studio Trigger does phenomenal work, and that's not their best, funnily enough, but Edge Runners is good. It's a little crass, and the language is weird, but it fits in the theme of the thing, and it actually takes, like, a property that otherwise wouldn't really work super well and makes it, like, actually viable, so I I hope that we get the like a true cyberpunk game in the way it was intended created by people who are working in a healthy environment. I don't know if we'll get that, especially that last bit
0: (laughs) at this point. Yeah. trust me, I've been following a little bit of the, of the gaming news and it's gotten a little bit crazy,
2: but when you're actually in it and writing it, there's some really messed up things you see and hear about. And I just got to say, please support Indies. They really need your help in any way that you can. Wishlisting things on Steam is a big part of it. We'll talk about some great indies before. We've already mentioned Dawn of the Monsters. Check that one out. But yeah, so back to Rampage. Uh, At the time, like The Rock... Showing up and everything, right? He was in like Jumanji and that journey to the center yeah, of the earth. He's, and I think
0: he's a notorious workaholic. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. And he, he was everywhere. Right. And so at the time he's like, I'm going to be in rampage. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Johnson. Uh, Mr. Johnson. If that is and your then, real name. <laughs> and then he started being like excited about it in every single interview. And he's like, oh no, we're going to have like all this big budget and these crazy monsters and this and that. And so I kind of just like passed it off. But when it came out, you know, me being a kaiju guy and hearing that people say it was, you know, actually fine, I watched it and I'm like, this is actually like yeah. borderline good, I would argue. <laughs> borderline in a lot ways.
0: good. That's one of the best descriptors I've ever heard I've ever heard about anything.
2: Borderline Everything good. involving the monsters is great. <laughs> like really, really cool stuff. It doesn't go beyond what it tries to be, like it is a action movie that harkens back to a video game. And that's about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it it's certainly better than the other video game kaiju movie that we talked about on your show.
2: It is better than Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> it even looks better. <laughs> that movie, even, like, the more I think about it, the worse I feel about that movie. <laughs> But no, Rampage, like I watched it and I thought, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Pacific Rim still wins as far as like, you know, at the time, Amerikaiju. Oh, yeah, that was for the sure. pinnacle. Right. And, you know, you can make the argument that Del Toro, whatever. And then we got King of the Monsters soon after. And now in a world where like Godzilla versus Kong and the Monsterverse in general has made Buku dollar like we're really at like a, a turning point for kaiju media where we're going to start getting more and more of these big blockbuster hits. And I, for one, am stoked about it. I hope it leads to better collaborations with some of these other creators like Toho and, you know, anyone involved in the Japanese style productions to maybe collaborate with these global talents. And so I'm I'm really excited about the future of kaiju being in like the pop culture vernacular. Mm-hmm. And I think that Rampage actually has a, a big part in that history
0: oh that'll be yeah that'll be interesting to talk about for sure but yeah i agree with you i i'm of the opinion that kaiju and tokusatsu might be on the verge of experiencing the breakthrough that anime went through about 20 years ago but
2: that's a really good comparison Mm -hmm.
0: yeah but you know but that's you know that's a topic for another
2: day and you know who will do it because it's the same person who did it for anime, this Hideteki uh, or <laughs> yeah, the the person who made Evangelion and now Shin Godzilla and Shin Ultraman. Yes. So yes. if anybody's gonna do it, it's gonna be that dude and his wonderful team. Yeah, yeah,
0: for for sure. In fact, I I met one of them, Mr. Higuchi. Met him a couple years wow. ago at G Fest. Speaking of G Fest, here, yeah, there's a segue for you. I actually saw this movie at G Fest because there's a theater. Uh, a little you know hop skip and a jump away from where g fest is usually held that will screen movies as part of the convention the big draws they awesome. show the classic films which is exciting but you know rampage was the new hotness at the time it was a few it had already been playing in theaters for a few months but they did a special g fest screening so i got to see it for the first time with some of my you know kaiju fan friends and a bunch of other just kaiju fans in the same in the the same big illustrious theater. If you ever get a chance to go to Chicago, go to the Pickwick Theater. It is a wonderful place. I've said that okay. on several episodes of the podcast already. But it was so it was fun. I know, and, and I like The Rock. I like The Rock when he was a wrestler. I like The Rock as a movie star. He's probably, in my opinion, the closest that we have to a modern, to in the present day, I would say, to an old school action hero an old school action star
2: yeah he really fits into a lot of those tropes I mean there are moments in Rampage that like has enough machismo and like bro culture almost that it kind of feels like predator at points (laughs) I mean, really, <laughs> but I, I, the rock is a really likable guy and there's been some weird instances like he showed up on either an E3 or one of those bigger gaming convention streams where he just kind of like said some stuff and he's like, I like video games and I like protein drinks and I don't even remember what he was like advertising, but people made fun of it for a long time and you know what, whatever, man, like the rock is he seems nice enough and he does a lot for like Samoan culture, as far as, you know, bringing into cultural awareness and, and just being, you know, the cool action hero. He got mm-hmm. the wrestling connection. So I'm a big fan of the rock personally. Oh yeah. Cool yeah. Move.
0: Yeah. Cause cause the rock is, you know, it's kind of, in a lot of ways, reminds me a bit of Arnold Schwarzenegger, his sheer charisma. Yes. <laughs> kind of outshines his actual acting ability because <laughs> mm-hmm. I will be the first to tell you as an actor, he isn't necessarily an outstanding actor. I think he's gotten better as he's gone and being a professional he's wrestler certainly helped mm-hmm. him, but it's the sheer amount of charisma, which is the same thing with Schwarzenegger. Yes. Schwarzenegger was not a great actor for no. a very long time. I wouldn't still will not say he's a great actor, but he had so much charisma that you went along with him. And plus the accent, he could say anything. And the, yes. the charisma, and the accent would sell it. That's the only thing the rock doesn't really have is he doesn't have the funny accent, but still yeah. sheer
2: charisma. <laughs> He's got a face for TVs and movies and stuff. Like as soon as you put the rock in frame, he kind of makes a shot, right? Like all you have to do is put him in a landscape and drop him in the middle and he does the eyebrow thing, right? And I mean, (laughs) people will come watch that. For for sure, for sure. So in this, it's kind
0: of funny. We have The Rock acting alongside a a handful of monsters and it's not quite like Predator. It's, It's interesting, the Predator comparison that you made where Predator is about the, it, honestly is that probably the only Schwarzenegger movie where it seems like Schwarzenegger gets <laughs> kind of outshone by other mm-hmm. things in the movie. Sure. Yep. You know, with that being the predator, it's kind of transcended being a Schwarzenegger movie. I don't know if that quite happens here, but we do have the big buff action star acting alongside some monsters. Yes.
2: Which yes. is, you know, it's par for the course for Hollywood, and it, it worked out fairly well, I think. And I, the other movies that I, th- so I thought about things like that really embrace masculinity and, and kind of play around with that while watching this. And I also thought about that, like, wave of guerrilla movies that we had in the 90s. <laughs> things like Mighty Joe Young and stuff like this movie takes a lot of those, like, script tropes and injects it into a, like a kaiju disaster movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does. It does feel like a bit of a throwback at points with yeah. this. But and I it's, think that's intentional, and it, I think it kind of works. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Now, it's interesting that we have this video game movie. Mm-hmm. When I looked it up, there hadn't been a Rampage game for about 12 years before this
2: no it was something that midway would just inject into collections and release occasionally on like various digital marketplaces because they made a lot of money on rampage rightly so it was kind of a big deal at the time yeah but it never really grew beyond like the the gamecube era. i think was the last iteration of it and the the overall design just kind of died in a sense. I think that there's a lot of games that, especially in the indie marketplace, that try to replicate the Rampage feeling, and we'll actually talk about one specifically that's new that's kind of fun. Yeah, the yeah, last one was, was
0: 2006. It was Rampage Total mm-hmm. Destruction,
2: and it was on the Wii. Right. Now, they did make a video game adaptation for this movie. Yes. And it was I, done by Raw Thrills, I believe, who mm-hmm. manufacture like Jurassic Park games and and some of the like the Transformers games that you might find, at, you know, various barcades and stuff throughout the U.S. And so there there is a game that's out there. I think it's pretty much. Just an updated version of the original with the it new is. monster design. It but is. I
0: didn't know it existed until I started researching the movie, and then I found yeah. a YouTube clip from, I should not from on a channel that has one of the best names I've ever heard: Pixel Slayers. Nice. <laughs> and did they did, <laughs> they did a little playthrough of it. It's. I don't know how many of these arcade machines exist, but this one was at a Dave and Buster's.
2: Yeah, that it, seems to be a common place for this particular manufacturer to kind of, like, sell to as a chain, right? Right. And I I was actually looking at Raw Thrills, and I'm like, wouldn't it be cool? Because, you know, I'm looking for work personally, and I'm like, I wonder <laughs> if they're hiring. I can d- help design or write the stories for arcade games. That'd be fun. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but uh, I looked at it. It's basically...
0: Yeah, it's a basically a remake of classic Rampage, but it uses the movie versions of the monsters. So you'll have yeah, so Lizzie walks on all fours and instead of punching the buildings will club them with her tail. Ralph the wolf will bite. And the Mm -hmm, only one who mm -hmm. really does it like a classic Rampage character is George, who will actually punch the buildings and stuff.
2: Right, right. Now, I actually, I'm fairly fond of these. Like, I have fond memories of the the Rampage video games because I had a I grew up in rural West Virginia and we had a, a skating oh, rink I, in, I have in a, a town called Spencer. My friend Michael Spencer. is from
0: West Virginia.
2: <laughs> yeah, so funny story about Spencer. For the longest time, Spencer was the only place you could buy a pizza at a McDonald's, which me, <laughs> knowing that as my only McDonald's, I just assumed all of them served pizza. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> But that same town had like a skating rink, right? Like a rollerblading rink. And in that rink, they had not only Rampage, which I remember being drawn to because, uh, you know, I was a kid, a Toku Godzilla nut, loved Power Rangers, immediately drawn to it. But they also had the Dungeons and Dragons beat them up. And so I'm, oh, I'm yeah. fond of those two games. And Rampage, like, I ended up playing the N64 version on a rental and, you know, yeah, I World it was fun Tour. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was the and first so one I had I a played. pretty decent connection. Yeah. Now, I don't think I played, like, the original arcade version when, on that skating rink. I think it was a sequel or a different iteration or something because I played the the original as a port on the PlayStation earlier today, and I do not remember that game being that bad. <laughs> like, it, it is rough. I and mean, for the time, it was, you know, this big to-do thing. Large sprites, you play as a villain, you eat people. Like, that's, that's pretty progressive mm. for the 80s. But they really made the games way better over time. It's just they didn't do much else with that property until now that they like threw it in the hands of a Hollywood director.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it was the it was Peyton Reed, if I remember correctly, who directed the was it uh, the other rock films? I think yeah, it was right? uh, at least one other one. It was oh not skyscraper. It was uh, it was the big dis- uh, San Andreas. It was the big disaster movie. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, with so, Brad no, Payton. Brad Payton, excuse me. Why did I think Peyton Reed? That's weird. Peyton. Brad Payton.
2: Brad yeah, Payton. Yeah, he did Daybreak, San, An- San Andreas is the one you're thinking of mm-hmm. in 2015. But yeah, San
0: Andreas, which he did with The Rock, which mm-hmm. you can definitely tell that that bled
2: over into this yeah. for sure.
0: It feels like I a haven't natural seen fit. San
2: Andreas, But like back to back, if you could take scenes from San Andreas and inject it into Rampage and you wouldn't know the difference.
0: Yeah, well, as as I've been saying a lot of times, especially in the Japanese tradition, kaiju are essentially walking natural disasters. That's how they're treated. Mm-hmm. Yep, you know, they're forces of nature a lot of the time, and you know, so they're treated like disasters because Japan is a very disaster-prone country with with right. typhoons and tsunamis and earthquakes and all that uh, and all that fun stuff. So
2: <laughs> it, that's it's that's why a the people thing. that made those disaster games in Japan ended up getting to do the one that's got, you know, Ultraman Gamera Oh uh, uh, Sh- City Avenalian. Shrouded in Shadow. Right. Yeah, we'll they were about. known for making disaster games. So yep. it's
0: disaster it's simulators they called them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- there are elements of the game in this it's i think it's taking most direct inspiration from the original i looked at the special features on the blu-ray for this and apparently just about everybody involved with the movie the rock the director everybody they said oh we were fans of the game and when they said we were going to make the game we were going to do it like the rock talked about playing the game at uh where where, uh, at a i'm going to look it up really quick but he played the game as a kid in hawaii he grew up in hawaii yeah so, I'm trying to see where... Where did he say he played that game really quick? Probably at a Pizza Hut. No, it wasn't, actually. Really? Huh. Oh, it was at a pool hall. Mm. He we go play it at a pool hall. Okay, okay. And basically, the movie came about, as we found out in the entertaining info dump, because WB bought Midway. So, they're like, we own the library. What can we do with this? Oh, let's do
2: this. people like kaiju. <laughs> Did they also have a hand at that Pixels movie? Probably. We don't There's some Midway stuff in there, I think. Yeah, but we don't talk about Pixels. (laughs) Funny enough, that movie taught me a cheat code that I didn't know existed. Oh. And I got made fun of by a friend of mine in television production because I was like, I'm sure that cheat code doesn't exist. And he goes, look it up. And I did, and it was accurate. And I'm like, oh, crap. (laughs) And he hasn't let me live it down in the like... 10 years we've known each other. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But so there is, so obviously there are some visual nods to it, you know, with, especially at the end during the attack on Chicago, where they're climbing the buildings and smashing mm-hmm. through the buildings. And if you pay really close attention, you'll see a shot where George is reaching into the building and then appears to throw someone into his mouth <laughs> but it's yeah, really yeah. far away. Obviously, the end of our villains.
2: <laughs> people die in this movie, man. Yes, like, there's do. a couple shots where like hordes of people are definitely killed.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, you know, he eats one of our villains at the end and it, she was the woman and she was wearing a red dress because there's famously a woman in a red dress in the original rampage. Right. But uh, a lot about a lot of the similarities start to taper off a little bit after that
2: because they do do right. As far as the monster cast is concerned, like those are the three first characters you get. Right. Yeah. And we even get in the very beginning of the movie, a nod to another monster, which is a, a rat. rat. Yeah. And yeah. that's either Curtis or Larry in either. I also so found Rett, Rett, the rat
0: is in total oh, okay. destruction
2: there's a lot more monsters that i knew originally like yeah. I, i'm familiar with most of them but i knew the rat was uh, in like i think the n64 version or something mm-hmm. and so i thought that was kind of fun and i actually really like that first opening sequence like it's kind of harrowing it, and cool it is and it is it sets I, the tone really it does well. set the tone
0: but and that's something that i've heard people complain about with the movie because they don't feel like it fits the tone of the games exactly the game has
2: are really like cheesy and yeah well 80s tv and
0: yeah yeah well the the games have a kind of a dark quirky cheesy sense of humor the only way i could think of to describe it is that
2: it would almost be like trauma to a certain extent it's a little kind of like do you ever watch ah real monsters as a kid a little bit yeah it's like that where it's kind of like it's that sort of silly like gross kind of dark but still fairly hokey like the rampage games are by no means any like there's not a story <laughs> hardly not much of one no there are like story cutscenes, but you know they're like oh the monsters are coming into paris yeah That's a problem
0: basically and and the uh, but like just to get, illustrate you know, one of the differences here and i I think if you had tried to do uh, to strike the same tone in this movie, like in the games, I don't think it would have worked. The just right. to, mm-hmm. but like the clearest illustration of this would be our evil corporate entity in this that makes the monsters. It is Energy, which sounds very professional and all of that. In the games, they're called Scum Labs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think they're kind of like. I don't know. Whenever they I, they say energy, my immediate mind was like, "Oh, engine, Jurassic Park." Yeah, it. it does sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jurassic Park, our competition,
0: yeah, <laughs> for the, for Monster Island, but yeah. So, energy, uh, instead of Scum Labs, so but they
2: make it to where the people at the top are the villains. Like we get that very early on with that rat in space scene. Basically, the the people on the comms are like, look, you either grab our research or you don't come home. Yeah. And so she has to go back in risk her life ends up the pod explodes. And that's how we get the start of these monsters. Is that like that genetic material in a box (laughs) ends up in the hands of all these critters. Now how they mutated, I'm not so sure about. Yeah. as far as like getting features from other animals.
0: Yeah. It's a little odd, but you know, it's, it's just one of those things that the, the movie just genetic ex- editing yeah yeah CRISPR, which will you know, i'll share a little bit about CRISPR. i did do some research on that just because i was just curious but there is some dark humor i feel like in this like the like the astronaut scene she manages to get out like she survives the giant rat only to die when her pod re- uh, re-enters orbit And I wonder, was like, was that supposed to be kind of funny? Like she survives everything. And then
2: (laughs) this movie plays with humor in a weird way. Like they really try to make certain moments to be funny. And oftentimes it's with dialogue and vulgarity and it just doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Hello, Negan. I
0: mean, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I mean, agent Russell.
2: (laughs) He's fine. I mean, I like him, but you would
0: expect. I like him, but he's, He's basically just playing Negan from right, The Walking yeah. Dead.
2: That, I mean, The Rock is just playing basically The Rock, but he doesn't like people. <laughs> Animals get me. Yeah, no, it's that's the big like weakness of this movie is the writing around it. Like all the stuff about the monsters and how they inject them into like a modern world, all that works. And the monsters are cool and they're terrifying and you know the everything that you would want in a monster movie is there. The issue is that the dialogue just doesn't do anything hardly at all. Uh-huh. And like, this is penultimate. in when the villain gets eaten by George and you, it's a slow-mo scene and she yells, Oh, <laughs> <which is laughs> funny, I guess, <laughs> but like, if you take that out, it's this really like powerful moment, or at least it has more energy than with the, the dialogue, I would say. And, you know, The Rock does the same thing. There's a couple funny scenes where he'll say, you know, oh, of course the wolf flies or he'll go to break <laughs> well, a thing and she just like nicks it with a like a glass opener. Yeah. Like, there are funny moments in this. It's just the writing could have used another pass. I don't know. It, I, I can't tell if they did it purposefully. <laughs> uh, I think
0: they did. I mean. I, <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, uh, yes, Jet, you're the dump button and the producer today. <laughs> but no, like you know, like I did write down a few of the lines that I thought were kind of funny. When animals like you, they lick you. They don't. They eat you. I mean, (laughs) from from, the rock, which I'm like, okay, come on, that's funny,
2: you know. I like it whenever the monkey says he looks like, and then he's like, no, you look like big, (laughs) but he does it in sign language, which is, and then the monkey's always flipping him off and like laughing. So it's
0: that was really juvenile. I have to admit, it's a
2: pretty immature movie, but you know what? (laughs) Yeah, it
0: reminded me of like like a dumb '90s blockbuster. (laughs)
2: again it's kind of like mighty joe young
0: (laughs) (laughs) a little bit the the 90s version not the 40s version
2: (laughs) oh right that is that was also a remake man these movies always have layers of history
0: yeah well and then another one you're talking about he was like you know when's oh i'm paraphrasing a little bit when science craps the bed i'm the one they call to change the sheets i mean that was funny
2: and then, yeah, I mean coming out of Negan's mouth was pretty funny. Yeah, Negan.
0: I mean cuz like seriously, he's just Negan.
3: Uh, yep.
2: <laughs> Although it
0: was funny looking at the special features and finding out that they were trying to figure out how do we make this guy look like he can go toe to toe with The Rock? Okay. And Dwayne Johnson said that Jeffrey Dean Morgan's machismo doesn't come from his physicality, it comes from his attitude. Basically,
2: I mean he he makes uh, basic lines. He, he does it far with a wink. Scarier. He said he said he does it with mm-hmm. a wink. <laughs> yeah, that dude feels sinister. I mean, Negan is obviously like such an iconic character because of that actor bringing it forward in a really like sinister fashion, right? So I'm, I mean, shout outs to that actor, regardless. But it is hard to see him in this and not see Negan because Negan is so prevalent in pop culture, right? Right. Same with The Rock. It's hard to look at The Rock in this era, especially, and not think, well, that's just The Rock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, The Rock, I would argue, is one of those actors where he's a persona actor. He, right, yeah. you know, th- he gets roles because people know who
2: his persona is. I mean, John Wayne was the same way. Sure. And I mean, you can make the same argument about a lot of different characters right now oh shoot Keanu Reeves also is kind of fitting into that on the action side a little bit
0: a little bit although he wasn't always like that when you look at his filmography he's done a lot of different things but I think oh yeah more so after the matrix than say like speed after (laughs) after that he kind of had a persona he had and he kind of stuck with it but before that he was yeah Bill and Ted and
2: right of course yeah Um, action movie history is fascinating because of the way like they mark certain points in pop culture. And so there's a lot of really interesting takes you can get from an action movie. If it's a really good action movie. Right. Right. Right.
0: But it's funny that you bring up the whole sign language thing because yes, <laughs> because it beat Godzilla versus Kong to it. It did. technically now Godzilla versus Kong uses real ASL. This doesn't, it's a made up kind of sign language. Although I, I found out, I found out that Dwayne Johnson's character Davis, when he signs his name, to george it is the asl sign for rock (laughs) that's a a little in joke there if you know if you know what it is
2: but unfortunate for those who really want to see better representation because if you are using sign language in a film you really should like consult people who use sign language yeah which
0: is why godzilla versus kong is so great because that was Actual stuff, and it had yeah. you know, the deaf girl. So awesome. Who's <laughs> sweet, by the way? She helped me out one time. Yeah. <laughs> but oh. yeah, but going back to some of the other things we were mentioning with this movie. So the, you know the the stuff where it's different from the video game. The, uh, they said the in the special features for the Blu-ray that they did have a script that followed the game really closely, but they ended up not using it, and now we have a script where. These are mutated animals as opposed to being humans mutated into kaiju, which is what the game right. is like. Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting difference because when you're playing the game and, and you lose, you shrink down to a little person uh-huh. and then like run away. <laughs> yeah, and then
0: because this is the kind of game it is, <laughs> I've heard that what your buddy can actually go over and eat you. <laughs> yes, and gain health. <laughs> and gain health. <laughs> but then you can just throw in a quarter and respawn anyway, but...
2: <laughs> That's the whole point. Give me uh, those
3: quarters. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's one of those things. There isn't a bunch of established lore to go off of with this. So they really did have free reign to make up a bunch of stuff. But at the yeah. same time, I can see where some people have said that like we wish this was a bit more like the game what do you think I, th-
2: I think that if you really wanted to do something that captured like the tone of the original rampage games you would almost have to do it animated because then you could do something like monsters vs. aliens where it kind of makes fun of like the kaiju tokusatsu genres and i think in that line of parody is kind of where rampage like does its best work and so I actually agree with them, just kind of scrapping it all and being like, "Look, it's it's going to be Rampage. It's its own thing. We're going to make it a big blockbuster, awesome." And r- early on, you see a Rampage cabinet. We've got all the names yes. right. People <laughs> on the internet are calling him Ralph. <laughs> yeah, that was
0: that was funny. Now, because yeah, that's the other thing, is all of the creatures in. I'll be pointing most directly to the original Rampage from the 80s, because I think that's the most direct inspiration, even though it spawned a whole franchise. But they were all bipeds, and in this, Mm -hmm. they take a more grounded, realistic approach, where Ralph is a mutated wolf who runs on all fours like a wolf, and Lizzie is a crocodile, walks on all fours. Now, they do some funny things like Ralph can throw spines like a porcupine well yep. what people think porcupines can do but he has spines like a porcupine and we mentioned it a little bit earlier lizzie has a big club tail and lots of mm-hmm. teeth and everything and like but uh boar tusks on the front yeah but but even george is different you know, george is an albino gorilla right. in this where in the original he was a traditional brown gorilla yeah, but apparently that was made kong yeah yeah but that was that decision was made simply so you could see the blood more easily on him <laughs> i oh, funny you. that was the whole reasoning
2: i like the george design per- and the cg actually works fairly well in this movie there's a couple shots especially when they're like scaling the building that i think will age over time but the bit where lizzie like crawls through the like the one level of the office. Some of that's really cool. And that's the shot specifically. I think that like, you know, if, upon further examination, it's going to look the worst, but the CG looks okay. Actually, well,
0: actually I was surprised.
2: I was surprised by the special effects, especially the George
0: effects. Yeah. And
2: They're it's all in daylight weird. too. Like there yeah. is a dark ish scene in a misty forest, which is the scariest scene. Cause we get, you know, Ralph killing off soldiers and stuff. That was but, like, remarkably it all violent, fine. Actually. Actually. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. remarkably violent
0: for a PG-13. <laughs> but People no, get uh, eaten, there's blood like Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of characters who just show up just to be fodder. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird, you know. They had the lady scientist, the lady astronaut at the beginning. Yeah, the soldiers who we actually get to spend time with them a little bit, and then 10 minutes later we watch them die thanks to Ralph. I, again, better than it does a better job than monster hunter because monster hunter. I didn't care about any
2: of those people. (laughs) No. And I am glad that this movie does kind of focus on like a fun, charismatic character in the rock and also his supporting actress, which I'm going to look up her name too. As soon as I find it, trying to do my due diligence here. Naomi Harris is his Mm co-actress for the breadth of the movie. And she's really fun. I think they work well together, her and The Rock. But I, I appreciate that this movie doesn't do what a lot of American kaiju movies do and they make it just like a military like fascination, like people like armchair generals who are really into military accuracy, they love to see that kind of stuff. But I get kind of bored when it's all like, oh, military's doing this, and they're all in the tent and they're all talking, you know, military jargon or whatever. Yeah, well, we, we get we, some there's of There's enough that. military in kaiju movies. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, well, we get some of that, but there's some, but it's not near to the degree of something like even Godzilla 2014, which has a lot.
0: Yeah. Now, it's interesting that you uh, that you bring all of that up because you know, speaking of actors, we got to talk about the mocap for George here. Jason Lyles did that and he was trained by a guy named I I didn't know who this guy was. Uh, Jason uh, no, yeah, Jason Lyles and Terry Notary. Apparently Terry Notary is mm-hmm. a movement coach and he's supposed to be one of the best in the world and he trained wow. him to do the mocap in this, the guy has worked on ape movies. It says he was playing King Kong in theaters. That's how Mr. Oh. In this in this interview, how Mr. Lyles described it. I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but he was basically saying, he's like, yeah, I'm being trained by King Kong.
2: <laughs> so like probably in stage theater or something, he had a, like a fairly accurate gorilla suit that he would, you know, I'm guessing do the motions with. that that's or- awesome.
0: That or maybe it was Skull Island, because he said it was. They were because this was a year after Skull Island, so maybe he was. I'd have to double check on that. You know that. Yeah, it's it's a
2: year after. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it's just whether or not that was him uh, him doing that. You know. Sure. Sure. Something for the follow up blog. Whoever writes it, whether (laughs) it's Jimmy or Jed or whoever. Oh, Jimmy's still writing them. Sure.
2: Hey, Digital Nomad. Yeah, yeah. On <laughs> Remote it. on the go.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, so I will say for something that for a lot of people, they might just write this off as a quote unquote dumb blockbuster. They put a lot of work into this to make it to make it good.
2: You know, if you want to yeah, co- say that. the money kind of speaks for itself. Uh, 120 million, which at the time was a, re- these are all estimates, mind you uh, data from IMDb the budget for Godzilla 2014 was 160 million which i'm sure they had access to that information and for reference kong skull island had a budget of 185 million but what's crazy about rampage specifically is it made a huge return on on this film at 428 million yes yes it made so all it was it was profitable, and this is why I think that this movie in particular is going to be an important history point for American kaiju especially, but probably global kaiju.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you there. And you know, Mr. Mm-hmm. Lyles, he was one of Ghidorah's heads in King of the Monsters.
2: Nice. Love to see that the the, the career continues to escalate. That's
0: yeah, really cool. For, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, they put a lot of work into it. His performance is great. The effects were done by Weta, and Weta knows what they're doing. Weta has experience with apes, too. They did Peter Jackson's King Kong. They did the New Planet of the Apes movies. So that's why all of that came out as well as it did. Although, when I was, again, watching the special features on the Blu-ray, they actually said that this movie was the most destruction that they had ever had to make in a movie Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, they tore up downtown Chicago, which was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Just in general to see. Wrecking the, I know it's the Willis Tower, but it's always going to be the Sears Tower to me and everyone else. (laughs) You know, one of the the second tallest building in, uh, in the United States. It seems very appropriate, you know, given, you know, given the. Going all the way back to the original King Kong, if you want to talk about American kaiju tradition, Mm -hmm. especially with apes, because the Empire State Building was the tallest building in the world at the time. For a hot minute, it was.
2: There's something that I think a lot of creative people tend to imagine and i can't be the only one who does this because we've ended up with films like this where you're looking at a structure or a piece of architecture or a mountain and you're like yeah but what if there was a monster there (laughs) (laughs) like driving down the road and you imagine like a like a big godzilla rising up from the mist or something in between mountains oh for sure I think of this stuff, and yeah. you know, this is why if I ever get the opportunity to make a movie, which, that would be sick. That's the type of stuff I would put into it.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. And you know what's you know, what's really funny? <laughs> a notary's daughters, he has two little daughters. They're probably like, I don't know, 12 and 10 or something like that. Their names are Sky and Willow, and they do mocap acting. And they were in this movie. They were the other gorillas in the troop at the zoo.
2: Which also looked cool. Fine, like all of the CG looks really good. And like you're saying, it's because they've worked with a lot of things involving apes.
0: Yeah, well, and the other thing that helps is they made as many practical sets as they could.
2: Mm, okay, so I was curious if you watch. If you watch
0: the special features, like they would go film on location. If they made a set, like the top of the Willis Tower for the end, they actually right. built a physical set, and they would. But there would be portions that would be green screened out for special effects, obviously. But they mm-hmm, went out mm-hmm. of their way to make as many physical sets as they could, like, like the scene where the Rock and I think what is what is her name? Kate is that her, her character? Yeah, Doctor Kate Caldwell. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. or Kate are. Trying to get around one of those stru- one of the you know structures on the top, and there's debris coming. That is literally people on the top of the set just throwing stuff at them. You know, <laughs>
2: like they just dust and like drywall sections. <laughs> yeah, you know, just
0: throwing stuff at them. You know, funny. So, yeah. So, you know, I think that definitely helps to sell the whole thing, and it also helps that most of the destruction is limited to one building. Which they said that they did, like they Mm -hmm. went out of their way to make that look good. Like they actually, they said they actually did research on the tower and found out when it was built and uh, what it was made of, how it was built, and all that, so they could make everything look good as it's coming down. So, like I said, some people may look at the result and just say, "Like this is such a just this is just a dumb blockbuster." But I'm like, "Yeah, but they put a lot of work into this. There was effort made
2: on all fronts."
0: for uh, for sure i mean like mm-hmm. and they actually consulted people fra- who work with crispr and they did research on this cuz they wanted this to be scientific yeah. they wanted it to at least make some sort of sense and yeah. so they were actually talking to real scientists about how this would work and how you would do it and things like that i'm like this is a lot of effort for what seems like a silly blockbuster <laughs>
2: that did pretty well in like global markets too, not just in the States, but I think there's a pretty big following in some of the Asian markets.
0: Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me at all. The now, posters
2: are really cool, by the way. Uh, uh, yeah. I like the posters for this movie. Oh, did
0: you, have you seen the Japanese poster? The
2: yeah. The Japanese poster yeah, is a cool. killer.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that was, oh, who was that? Was that Yuji Kaida? I could be wrong on that. Again, I could be corrected in the follow-up blog, but, He's done a lot of Godzilla and kaiju posters, and it's it's nuts. Like, look up his poster for King Kong Lives, which is a terrible, terrible movie. His poster makes it look infinitely cooler <laughs> than it actually is. Which, funny enough, okay, and this will come up in the next segment. Funny enough, his poster for that movie was used as the cover for the tie-in games that are Japan only.
2: Oh. Funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, I will say this. Our villains in this are cartoons. They're also relatively close to, I think, like the tone of the games where you have this, you know, kind of... It's a brother and a sister or the heads of Energy. The sister is a control freak. Her brother is a pushover and and kind of a dork.
2: And... Mm -hmm. They he's just, more of a stand in for he's like a figurehead for the company. Meanwhile this Claire character is the real one like calling the shots and I actually like the part when the FBI comes in to do a sweep and she stays extremely calm. Yeah. That really shows like that you know, she knows what she's doing and she's probably done it before. Right. She's definitely a bad person. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. But th- I think their plan is kind of stupid because they they made the pathogen that is mutating right. these animals they want to get samples of the animals so they can start selling the stuff okay I understand the motivation yep, yep that's yep. good their solution to getting the samples is to f- blare an alarm a beacon from the top of the b- a tower that only the mutants can hear okay yeah, I'm still with you right now but, the, but button yeah but their plan <laughs> is get them to come to chicago and hope the military kills them so then they could collect samples and i'm like
2: to quote iron man not a good plan <laughs> no no this did, this did not work out in their favor at all <laughs> and i don't
0: know if that was intentional i don't know if if the idea was these villains are kind of stupid <laughs> and that's and the the fact that they're stupid is endangering people, so it is technically furthering the plot and everything along. Right, or right. if this was just plain bad writing and no one thought this is a stupid plan. I'm not entirely sure. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt of these villains are doing something stupid and making things worse. It
2: is entertaining.
0: <laughs> it, 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 for sure. I'm not gonna disagree <laughs> with that, because then we get the most game-like thing in the whole thing, which is all three monsters climbing the tower to Mm -hmm, get to the mm -hmm. top because they have to smash that beacon, you know?
2: (laughs) And I do like how we steadily get revealed the other two monsters, like the, the reveal for Ralph where the soldiers, that's all really, really cool. And then whenever the Lizzie actually comes in the middle of the rampage which is an interesting twist to the entire thing. Cause I would say Lizzie's probably a fan favorite cause you know, dinosaur characters, but it was cool to just like be in the middle of the climax, so to speak. And then all of a sudden bigger monster comes in and is like three times the size as the rest of them. And is also Lizzie and has like a cool, you know, croc dinosaur design. Like, yeah, it's
0: neat. Yeah, it is. And I think the, the fact that Lizzie doesn't show up until much later, we see George mm-hmm. pretty, pretty quick. Ralph gets a lot of development, you know, as a monster, but we don't see Lizzie until much later. And I think the filmmakers tried to make up for the fact that we don't see Lizzie until much later by
2: making her the final boss, because she kills
0: Ralph pretty fast.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of really cool shots. Like I, I love the idea of like cool moments, actually like cool frames within monster movies. There's been, you know, several iconic images, especially in King of the Monsters for me, where Ghidorah spreads out on the on the hillside with the cross. Awesome scene. There's a couple that couldn't be argued as really neat here. Like whenever Lizzie's revealed, she opens her mouth real wide and you've got the like the really dark foreground and it's against the sky and later on she like crunches a plane and catches the pilot and you see the pilot, like try to get like hit his escape thing. And it doesn't work because he's completely enclosed. There's neat, like shots in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, for sure. And then
0: we we get the underdog fight at the end because they fix George. It's funny how no one stops to think about, and I get it. It's not that kind of a movie, but no one stops to think, you know, George murdered some people. George ate yeah. people? I mean, yeah. one of them was the was the you know the, the evil lady in the red dress, but you know, which is how they were able mm-hmm. to give him the antidote so that he wasn't going crazy anymore. By the way, I do want to know we're what we're gonna happens, feed the monster with a monster. Which was a good line.
2: No, I'm feeding the monster to the gorilla. And then juxtaposed against the ocean oh moment, I'm telling you. Like, <laughs> this movie's close to being a lot better than it is. Yeah, for sure. So No one
0: stops to think, you know, he did all these terrible things. Are we going to talk about that? We're not going to talk about that because George has to be the big dang hero at the end. So Mm -hmm. he's the, he's the underdog. He is dwarfed next to Lizzie. And then we get this. I have to admit the finale of this movie is pretty harrowing. Yeah, it's it's, cool. It's a tour de force of special effects. The rock is running around doing his best eighties action hero, shtick he's, he's got the grenade he's, launcher
2: That's he's got the grenade look.
0: launcher he's got the one-liners i mean it's this. It, honestly it might be the best part of the movie and it's but weirdly enough it's very unlike the game <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is the funny thing and then we basically get the prototype for godzilla versus kong we get godzilla versus kong before godzilla versus kong not including the original movie and Correct. it's brutal and i was thinking it's like well how the heck is this little gorilla supposed to win and then you know he i swear they ripped off a move from skull island because george does the same thing the smash the debris against the lizard's head move you know coming from off screen you know the big day hero moment so there's cool stuff yeah and then how does george win he stabs lizzie through the eye Big spike. <laughs> yeah, you go for the weak spot. It makes sense. It makes yeah. sense.
2: Again, there's a, there's a shot in the in the finale where the rock is like pinned under rubble, and the and Lizzie's jaws are like coming in. Yeah, and it makes me think of that scene in the Power Rangers movie with the giant skeleton thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's a very similar. Oh, scene the in, in the frame. original
0: in the original Power Rangers movie with the dinosaur uh-huh. skeleton. Yes. The whole
2: ninja scene, yeah, yes, yes, yes. That's yes. What I, I just, thought
0: of immediately. I just did an episode on that a, a little while ago, so I should know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, actually, I covered it twice because I covered it on the Power Trip and on the on the Film Vault because Patreon's. Cause, so I important movie, yes, and I covered and I was a guest on Retro Rewind about. I basically I have covered that movie three times this year. It has been thoroughly covered <laughs>
2: <laughs> we get <did> it
0: <laughs> we did it it's on all the things but yeah so, so i I liked the finale and then we get the oh he's totally faking we get the big emotional moments like George is dead but he's not and You know, George
2: makes fun of him for crying. Yeah. Yeah, Makes fun of him for
0: crying. And then he's like, oh, you like, uh, I was like, oh, is Kate part of your troops? Like, yes, she's part of the troop. She's my friend. Oh, and then
2: yeah, (laughs) the the sign language bits are really funny because the monkey's like really crass. He like flips them (laughs) off. And yeah, he's like,
0: he's basically a 12 year old.
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's
0: it's like a 12 year old that just discovered obscene gestures and swearing. (laughs) which I guess is kind of endearing, but it's right. It got a little much at points, but again, credit needs to be given to Mr. Lyles with that performance. You really do like George in this. In yeah, your George, George is
2: the most like enjoyable monster as far as like he, his hero moments feel earned in a way. Yeah. Less so than the rocks. Oh, really? I would say like, well, I mean, The rock definitely has like his hero moments that are cool with the grenade launcher thing where he's like, no, they can't be dropping Moabs in here. There's people down here still, Uh and we got to get on that phone. And, you know, he does, he does things like that. But I think out of all of the like heroic Kaiju we've seen in America, George is probably up there. Like he does save the day and, you know, he is cognizant about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's again he's less of a main character than kong and gvk though Uh, kong and gvk has protagonist energy (laughs) yeah oh yeah
0: most definitely most definitely and you have to watch that movie and assume that godzilla and kong are the main characters (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep you really have to (laughs) this one you don't have to because they try to give you reasons to care about the human characters in this because they all have the, our both of our main characters have tragic backstories that we have to hear about at one point, you know,
2: th- briefly. If, thank goodness, which is fine, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. We find out that uh, the Davis, the Rock, uh, used to be special forces, and he was oh, he was always going after poachers. He saved George from poachers. You know, you had. Mm-hmm. The, I will admit the scene where he's like, you know, what happened? Where she asked, "What happened to the poachers?" is like, "Well, I grabbed him, and they shot at me." I shot back, they shot at me, they missed, I shot back, I didn't, you know, that that was a a pretty good scene, it felt felt mm -hmm. almost out of place, because it's weird, it's really dramatic amidst all of this absurdity,
2: yeah, (laughs) it's, uh, like I said, it's, the writing is close, like, I get what they were going for, it didn't quite come out on the screen, but there are definitely some like weird choices when it comes to the script specifically.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then we find out that Kate used to work for Energy, but then found out that they were not on the up and up and got in trouble and yeah. they kicked her out, and
2: now she's yeah, trying to she stick found it to that them. the corporation was evil. Yeah, which uh, most of them are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, did you forget you're in a summer blockbuster? <laughs> The, the no, corporation is overall, probably like, evil.
2: <laughs> uh, dude, Rampage is it's fine. <laughs> and like I said at the start of this, I would there's an argument to be made that it's good and I will stand by that this movie will be important and is important currently.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean like I said, it's got a lot going for it. I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's anywhere close to being a great movie, but no. You know, it, it's definitely entertaining. I will say that, you know, and if you like the effects, if you like the game, do you think people who like the game will like this?
2: I think people who specifically say they like Rampage need to play more games. <laughs> like, if so, <laughs> like if somebody says, oh, what is your favorite video game? And they say Rampage. I'm like, how many games have you played? <laughs> is my follow up question to that. Wow. A little bit of, uh, got some hot takes there on It's important. It's just,
0: there are far better things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I am not disagreeing with you, sir. Yeah. (laughs) I think Jet just said he's not disagreeing with you either. Do you, are you a gamer, Jet? Ah! I think that's yes, Mr. McCumbers, because I understand Jet speak better than... Most people. I mean, his
2: favorite console is probably the Jaguar.
0: (laughs) I think he said he actually has one.
2: Why would you want to own
0: a Jaguar? They're terrible. There's
2: not very many reasons to do so aside from it's funny. (laughs) Sometimes I do that. I'll pick up old weird games just because it's fun at the time. Like I have Fight Club on the PS2. (laughs) <laughs> and they it was like we were reading the book at the time which was super cool and then the movie which is fantastic and then I'm like isn't there a game and then, and then I found it on Amazon new for $20, like recently. And I'm like, all right, I got to know. It's bad. Don't play Fight Club on the PS2.
0: <laughs> the first rule of Fight Club on the PS2. Do not talk about Fight Club on the PS2. Don't, don't play. <laughs> do not play Fight Club on the PS2. Yeah. But anyway, before, before we move to the actual Toku topic, I do want to share a little bit of what I learned about CRISPR. Ooh, okay. I looked at their official website, at a website that was answering questions about CRISPR. CRISPR was founded and invented by a guy named Dr. Emmanuel Charpentier. Oh, I wonder if he's related to my friend Alyssa Charpentier. And hmm. CRISPR is an acronym. I think, they may, I think they talked about that a little bit in the movie. And it stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. That sounds science-y. Uh-huh. It does sound very science-y. <laughs> it is, quote, genetic information that some bacterial species use as part of an antiviral mechanism, end quote. They actually explained what CRISPR essentially is in the movie actually pretty well. It's not genetic engineering. It's genetic editing. They're, they talked with a doctor on... It was one of the, another founding where I think is Dr. Zhang, something like that. I could be wrong on that. <laughs> Again, I will be corrected in the blog. But he described it as, basically think of a, a DNA strand like a novel. And you have a sentence. And the sentence says, twinkle, twinkle, big star. Which is a typo. And you want to correct it so that it says, twinkle, twinkle, little star. So what you would do, you have a couple of options if you're editing this sentence and you could change it to, you know, just get rid of big and just say twinkle, twinkle, star. Well, that's not what you want to say. You could say twinkle, twinkle, big, little, star. Again, not what you want to say. What you actually want to go do do is remove the word big, replace it with little. And that's essentially what CRISPR technology does. It goes in and it removes... DNA strands and then allows the body to then come in and replace them so if there's a disease strand or a damaged DNA strand for say a genetic disease they can uh, go in there remove that and then the body will repair it essentially okay if I'm understanding it correctly
2: I mean we're grossly simplifying things I'm sure for sure (laughs) the basic understanding is yeah because making little changes
0: yeah like here it says Quote, CRISPR slash Cas9, if I understand correctly, that's one of the processes used by CRISPR, edits genes by precisely cutting DNA, then letting natural DNA repair processes take over. The system consists of two parts, the, the Cas9 enzyme, okay, it's an enzyme, and a guide RNA, which uh, RNA is a aspect of DNA. A Casper, this is a quotation, Casper-associated endonuclease endo, endonucleus or enzyme that acts as a mole, as molecular scissors. That's somebody's band name or it's going to be an attack in an anime. That's a weapon in molecular an anime. Molecular scissors. Molecular scissors. That awesome. sounds like a weapon in an anime. <laughs> to cut one. DNA at a location specified by a guide RNA. Then it talked about the, the that you can get CRISPR therapeutics, which are, quote-unquote, transformative gene-based medicines. For gene editing, for genetically defined diseases, you can use a guide RNA that directs Cas9 to cut DNA. You know, we've basically explained all of this already. So, To cut DNA at a specific site in a disease-causing gene or at a different site, such as a region that regulates genes. Yeah, this starts getting a little scientific-y there. But I think you basically understand what's going on there. And it says that you can do this either outside the body, so, like, you could remove some affected genes, do the stuff, and then put it back. Or you can do it actually inside the
2: body of the patient. Huh. And that's basically the principle of how we get these creatures. And yeah. And so it, it kind of makes sense on why we're seeing, like, hybridizations. You know, we've got the wolf mm-hmm. that's also part bat and part porcupine and kind of making this, like, perfect predator thing, almost like what they do in the the newest Jurassic Park movies.
0: Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor Jurassic Park trying to drum up new business by inventing dinosaurs that don't exist. Yeah, that worked out very well.
2: Very, very well. I would also argue that those movies are fine and fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just saying. There's a
2: Resident Evil scene in it. Come on. There is kind of a Resident Evil
0: scene in it. Yeah. Like I said, there's some more information that I found that goes into how they found this thing and the process and everything. And honestly, as much as I would... Love to spend more time talking about this. I think I've explained it well enough and I'll share these notes for the follow up blog. Because by the way, it
2: makes for a cool like night of Googling. It does. It really does. And there was an update on their website press release wise as early as October twenty seventh in this year. So I mean it's it's not like an old thing. It is an active thing. Yes yes yeah in
0: fact it even says here like CRISPR genome editing allows scientists to quickly create cell and animal models which researchers can use to accelerate research into into diseases such as cancer and mental illness
2: the question is is can they give me the rocks eyebrows
0: that would be fun actually (laughs) that
2: would be great the,
0: the rock brows the rock brows for sure and it they are hoping to use CRISPR actually as a rapid diagnostic for a lot of things, you know. And anyway, like I said, as much as I want to spend Science time, cool. on, yeah, as much as I want to spend a bunch of time on this, we need to get to the actual Toku topic, that being kaiju in video games.
3: This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people.
0: So I know we covered kaiju in video games a couple years ago on your podcast, but I feel like a lot has happened since then.
2: <laughs> I feel like we've discovered a lot. Like we walked into this thinking, you know, there's a couple really cool instances, but I mean, obviously we had the talk with Alex Rushdie. A lot of what we'll talk, be talking about today kind of leans on like his work. And so there's just been a lot of stuff. And because of this like new wave of kaiju interest, we are seeing a lot more games start to put kaiju into it. And we are getting a lot of Japanese titles in English, at least. Right. And so right now is a great time to be into kaiju as a, as a media, especially in games. Right, right, right. And if you included
0: everything, like all the Ultraman games that have kaiju, if you go just on Godzilla games, this list is going to go on for ages so, you know, since I'm primarily using the presentations that Alex Rushdie has done, who runs a website called Control All Monsters, where he's trying to catalog every single kaiju game in existence, he even said in those presentations, he did them both at GFest, he's like, I am actually going to stay away from the really well-known stuff like the Godzilla games, because people know what those are. And, you know, they don't necessarily need to be talked about. So, you know, just to let everybody know, yes, things like the Pipeworks games, the Godzilla games, the Destroyer Monsters Melee, uh, Save the Earth, which is my personal favorite of the three, and Godzilla Unleashed. Yeah, we know all about those. Godzilla on PS4, we know about that one. You know, the the Godzilla games are pretty easy to come by. Alex... Was pre was mm-hmm. presenting on the and we talked a bit about some of those and you know, not just straight Godzilla games, but some of the weirder stuff
2: that yeah, has we some got a little relevance. into the weeds and it yeah. was a lot of fun to do that research. But this is like the I don't know, we've done this particular chat a few times in our career, which is a lot of fun because we we cross paths a lot in varying content media And so like I always like if it's a kaiju related thing, I refer to you because like you're the guy, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm the guy. (laughs) And then if it's a game thing that's outside of like your area of expertise, usually I'm the guy. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember I I mean, I remember getting a hold of you at G Fest in twenty nineteen. I think it was twenty nineteen, yeah. I I got a hold of you, Dawn of the Monsters. That was when Dawn of the Monsters was unveiled and there was hardly any there was like one video that they only really put up on YouTube so they could have it to yep. show at G-Fest. And I I went to that presentation. And I got a hold of it. I was
2: like, dude, you need to look into this. <laughs> you're going to love this. <laughs> the exact text or something. Yeah, you're going to love And then got picked this. up by WayForward, which I love WayForward. They just put out a new Ruby game today that's on our list of things to do. And yeah. So, like, that publisher, you couldn't have picked a better publisher for, like, a really cool Kaiju beat-em-up. But, no, Kaiju has always existed in games. It's just the... They haven't been in the popular space for games, one could argue, and a lot of the games that we've gotten have been on the budget end of that or have been extremely experimental or good in certain areas over others. Things like Super Godzilla's presentation, fantastic. Playing that game, not so much. Yeah, (laughs) I have a weird soft
0: spot for that game. I remember remember playing it as a kid being like, this is weird and it's a little frustrating at points, but I kind of just... Muscle through it, just
2: figured out how the game was supposed to work. <laughs> I have an essay about that game in the SNES Omnibus. Ooh, it's a collection of all the like the the games that are uh, published in North American. So it's all of the Super Nintendo games. It was put together by Brett Weiss and a bunch of my colleagues. And so those little individual essays, I got to do a bunch of those. And Super Godzilla was one of them. So if you pick up volume two, you can find my work specifically under Godzilla there. Ooh, I'll have to check that out. But the, it's interesting. You could make the argument, and I think
0: Alex does in his presentation, that Donkey Kong
4: kind of kaiju.
0: Because yeah, what's I mean, it about? Yeah, I certainly inspired by one. What's, what's it about? A big gorilla climbs a building carrying a booksome some Blonde. Yep. Sounds familiar. Now he's so, like
2: banana. Yeah, banana. <laughs> so familiar,
0: in fact, that as I discussed in some past episodes, Universal tried to sue Nintendo and that was the dumbest lawsuit ever of all time. <laughs>
2: I like Donkey Kong and Smash Brothers. <laughs> he's uh, he's really straightforward if, as far as the like technical side of him. And all of his combos are hit big, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, hit hard. Funny enough, I play only kaiju in Smash Brothers because my other character is Bowser.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is Bowser a kaiju? We're not opening that can of worms. Exactly, Jet. I th- think I know what you said. Maybe, kind of. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> the list that I got Again, referencing Alex, it doesn't really have a lot of mecca. There's too many Ultraman games to talk about, but you know, right. I think his list was pretty spectacular. I have to say,
2: so it is. The only thing that I feel, in and in it's lacking, and I'm sure that he's going to cover this probably in a future talk, but there's a lot of really good indies. He mentions, you know, here and there, some notable ones, and the mobile space is kind of filled with kaiju garbage. And oh, unfortunately, good Lord, yes. it takes advantage of a lot of our fellow fans in that regard. But no, there's some really cool, like, indie projects. And like I was saying earlier, like, we're starting to get more now than we have in a long time. And right. just recently Gigabash announced that the G Man himself is stepping yes! into the ring. Yes, That's gonna be that nuts. Game. And that's, I've gotta, a, that's a huge deal.
0: Yes, it is. I'm gonna have to uh, I haven't bought Gigabash yet. I know I'm a fake Neither fan. am I. Uh, I should I'm gonna have to now and then stream <laughs> it for employed. the podcast. <laughs> I have an excuse. <laughs> yeah. So thanks to Alex, I now know what is the first kaiju video game. And I have never heard of it and never played it. I will be curious to see how many of these you, Mr. Alex, have played out of this list, but... Not many. <laughs> yeah. Crush, Crumble, and Chump
2: from 1981. Nope. I probably played something that was inspired by it. Like he well, mentioned mon- later the movie in The movie monster game? I think briefly. The thing is, is I didn't play a lot of PC stuff. Most of my history comes from like NES onward. Yeah. And so there's a lot of like PC stuff... And like the Commodore, the Amiga, the the Apple one, I missed all that. Yeah.
0: And something to keep in mind, the reason we're going to go over a lot of these is some of these games are very important to the development of video games as a medium. They have historical yeah. significance mm-hmm. within yeah. the medium.
2: It's not just like, oh, we're fans and we're cool about a niche subject and we point these out because it fits the bill. Like a lot of these are important games. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but for what, what I remember what Alex said, I think he said
0: this one is kind of like a turn-based sort of a game. It got yep. remade essentially in 1986 as the movie monster game, and that one had a Godzilla license. The funny thing is, yeah, turn-based, you can grow your own monster. And the funny thing is he thinks there's no nothing that really confirms this officially, but he says if you pay attention to the art style and everything of it. He thinks it's actually based on the first kaiju board game, which I want to find yep. this board game now if I can. It's called the creature it, that cool. ate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called the creature that ate
2: Sheboygan. It's a cool little piece of history. I had no idea this thing existed. I think I've heard the word Sheboygan before, but yeah, that's as far uh, as uh, I it's I got. a city.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, here I'll look it up. Let's see, Sheboygan. Boy, yeah, and anyone who uh, it's a uh, it's a city in Wisconsin, huh? There you go. Go figure. <laughs> go figure. Yeah, it's a city in Chicago, uh, in Wisconsin. And then he starts going through chronologically. I watched both of his videos and kind of arranged things chronologically as best I could. So there's oh, stuff okay. here from yeah. both of them. So then there was 3D monster maze 1981 that he says mm-hmm. stretches the definition, but. This thing was the first, he said, in about three or four categories. He said it was the first, arguably, says, the first survival horror game, the first 3D game, the first first-person game, and mm-hmm. was an early example of procedural generation.
2: All very innovative concepts, and so there's a lot of things that build off that. Like, even in just, like, we, it took a long time for us to get out of that perspective of block and a hallway, which is something that like early persona games use a lot of like Shin Megami Tensei stuff, the, the D D style dungeon crawlers. I think most of the Ultimas were in that like style. The first elder scrolls were similar to that. Like it took a long time for yeah. us to just be able to, you know, look around, which is kind of what doom really popularized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he basically, he basically said that if it wasn't for this game, stuff like silent Hill and resident evil, wouldn't be around they borrow i mean he's not wrong yeah and (laughs) what makes it even crazier is this game he says was made by one person
2: isn't it weird how that works out there's definitely that can that trend continues it's very rare but it does happen and so it's always interesting to me to see like one individual have a lot of creative control of what's going on and then that to be good yeah because you know oftentimes if you're somebody who's making a game you might be really good at writing or the gameplay or what have you but to be good at all of that plus art and music (laughs) that's a tall order that is a very tall
0: order and then same year he said as far as he can tell this is the first king kong video game may not be officially licensed because the king kong copyright is ridiculous or as i put it The King Kong copyright is convoluted because we like alliteration around here. (laughs) Uh, But 1981, it was a Tiger. Oh my
2: gosh. Remember the Tiger electronic LCD games? I had one of their attempts at the game, the the game.com. I had one of those. I I think I sold it, but it was a weird little LCD thing you could play Resident Evil on. Yeah. I also owned awesome colleague who I met stop skeletons from fighting Derek over there. They have done extensive like historical work and the games.com is something that they, like, touched on, and it's really fascinating stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, but Tiger Electronic made these little handheld LCD games
2: that were all the rage for a while that are apparently the bane of the angry video game nerd. <laughs> they're all bad, but, you know, they, they're time wasters. They were the equivalent of having the little poker machine. Like, my aunt had one that she accumulated a bajillion points on because she played it while she smoked cigarettes. In between reading, like mystery novels you know like it was it was just something that you had at the table right basically so uh, lcd game
0: ironically it's a donkey kong clone according to Mm -hmm. mr rusty then there was a second one a year later called king kong jungle and king kong new york that was inspired by the 1976 movie Mm. Mm hmm and then there was a King Kong game in 1982 on the Atari 2600 that was made by Tiger Vision and was also a Donkey Kong clone, <laughs> as you would expect. The first official Godzilla video game, because there were some unofficial ones before this, because when video games started, especially in the home console market in the 80s, it was the Wild West. <laughs>
2: Oh, we had all sorts of weird stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were like even the concept of like a single-player game was new. At the time, like Mario Brothers, kind of like popularized it by the fact that you could finish it. Yeah. And then Zelda kind of blew it all up, right? Metroid and that sort of thing.
0: Yep. Yep. And like I said, there are
2: porn games
0: on the Atari. Let that sink in. Oh, yeah.
2: They're really not kosher <laughs> they, they <laughs> most definitely I would talk about extensively but yeah, yeah they, they most mean, definitely like are any not Other medium the adult industry follows yeah but
0: you know like when the nes came around nintendo was like i uh-uh, know <laughs> they weren't
2: official games that's for sure <laughs>
0: yeah yeah but anyway it was godzilla versus three giant monsters 1984 and it had the uh, you know the other three monsters in question were Megalon, Kumonga, and Ghidorah, which I think are kind of odd choices. Ghidorah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Megalon,
2: I sort of understand. But Kumonga? The spider? I mean, okay. at the time, I think Son of Godzilla was popular. And I, I think guess. even in this game, you see... Yeah, uh, Minya. Yeah, Minya. Minya appears in the game,
0: yeah. And then... The next one he highlighted was Mail Order Monsters from 1985, which he described as a Mm proto-Pokemon. And Mm -hmm. interestingly, the studio that made it eventually went on to make Skylanders. Is anyone surprised? Toys for
2: Bob. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Also, they did fantastic remakes of Spyro and Crash, and unfortunately were tossed around because of Activision Blizzard being real scuzzy. <laughs> so I think they, a lot of that team ended up working on like Call of Duty and being a part of that unfortunate machine. But yeah. hey, we got a couple cool, cool games out of it and those yeah. folks are very creative and fun.
0: Yep. The next one, this is one of the ones that he highlighted that I'm like, okay, I really want to try this one, which is Giant Monster Counter-Attack 1986. It's an arcade mm-hmm. game made by Taito. It was only in Japan, and he says, I am really surprised that Toho's lawyers didn't sue them. This is one Mm -hmm. of the instances where Toho didn't say no ho, (laughs) 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 oh come on oh come on that was better than that jet come on (laughs) but because for one thing the character you play as is a horned kaiju you know dinosaur looking one that looks eerily similar to a certain other kaiju and he said the gameplay was like akari warriors or commando it's a top-down shooter yep where you're the kaiju, and you can the stroll the camera around yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and you're the uh, you're the kaiju, and you're shooting things. He said it's brutally difficult, but he said the part that really surprised him is that it has a the theme song is a synth remix of Akira Fukube's Godzilla March. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. he does say that Galloping Ghost in Chicago has an uh, has a machine. I might have to go find it.
2: I mean, if you're in the area, right? Like, there's a lot of cool like I recently got to play the Godzilla pinball machine which he also mentions in all yes. these talks and so if you're like really into kaiju culture especially a lot of the people around these events will bring these machines to these conventions and such so you might be able to find one there and there are resources under online where you can figure out exactly where some of these machines are
0: yeah now uh, which Godzilla pinball 98 or the new the one? new one the new one the okay. new one
2: is Awesome! It's really, really cool, and I want one real bad.
0: Yeah, they're expensive though.
2: <sighs> I work in I work in in journalism, where you know, getting one as like a review unit isn't terribly out of the questions. I have asked. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: with well, the next one, then he talked about Rampage, which we've talked about a little bit, nineteen eighty six to twenty eighteen. Now he spoke mostly about the original game. Which he said was made through technical limitations. For, you mentioned it briefly. It was the first game that let people play as the villain, technically. It's one of the mm-hmm. first games that to have large enough sprites to show emotion and humor. So that was a revolutionary thing. And he, uh, we, we talked about Dave and Buster having a machine for the 2018 reboot. And I mentioned the thing about Uwe Ball. Are there any other important historical relevances? to the original Rampage, since we're talking about the movie.
2: I mean, it was ported to, like, everything under the sun. And it was touted uh, for Midway for a while. And, like, a lot of their library, like, the things they really, like, stuck their stamp on did involve monsters. I mean, Midway eventually, I believe, published more of the monsters. Maybe don't quote me on that. But they did do, you know, Primal Rage, which you can go out and play Primal Rage 2. I've played it through an emulator and it's it's a fascinating little game and you know Primal Rage was also ported to everything.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. And just to let everybody know since we're talking about the movies, you had the original game in 1986 arcade ported to everything. Then we had Rampage World Tour, which was the first one I played. 1997, I, that was on PS1
2: version I played, huh? That was the first home version that I played. Right.
0: That was on playstation 1 and on the n64 and that that had a sequel in 98 called rampage 2 universal tour and then another sequel after that called rampage through time and then there was a
2: rampage puzzle game called puzzle attack in 2001 similar to puzzle and dragons there's a whole like they they put that skin on like mario (laughs) on the 3ds it's kind of interchangeable but it's all you know puzzle and dragon style basically three move things
0: around basically and then on the wii there was rampage total destruction in 2006 which is why i was astonished that somebody was like hey let's make a movie based on a game that hasn't seen a new game in 12 years that sounds great somehow they did it (laughs) somehow they did it that is true but anyway, back to the subject at hand. 1986, King Kong 2, Megaton Punch of Fury. <laughs>
2: this one actually looks really fun.
0: I this I just love the title. This was made by Konami. It's based on King Kong Lives, but kind of loosely. Because it's way more, it sounds way more interesting than the King Kong Lives movie. Sorry, John, don't hate me. But you get to fight a, an army of Mechanicongs, which mm-hmm. would drive Jimmy crazy because he has a mechanic Kong. and then there are our giant ducks and blobs. He says it's basically a more action oriented version of Legend of Zelda.
2: <laughs> it looks really weird.
0: And I'm like, I kind of want to try this. And then there was a follow up to it called King Kong 2: the Legend revised or revived. Excuse me. And it was on MSX. And the funny thing is, is Panasonic right. made a product line called King Kong and they had a man
2: in an ape suit. This was totally unauthorized and somehow they didn't get sued. The MSX is another thing that has a lot of video game history and like people doing cool indie designs. And I mean, that's where the Metal Gear series kind of took off. Right. But I have never played one and I've never played any of the games aside from the rare times Metal Gear was like ported to like the PS3 or whatever. Yeah, I know Metal Gear as an NES game. (laughs) Yeah, right. So the, the original prettier version of that is the msx one which is got all the like cool kojima quirks you could want right so have you ever
0: heard of a game called yy world from 1988 it's a konami crossover Mm -mm. i've never heard of it apparently kong is in it and there's a bunch of other rando characters in it too so there you go and then (laughs) the hilariously named (laughs) Arg. From 1987. Great title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You play as a dragon and an ogre that seems to be more inspired by the seventh voyage of Sinbad. Which, speaking of Harryhausen, a lot of people think Lizzie in the Rampage games is a Godzilla pastiche. Because George is a a King Kong pastiche. Actually, no. Lizzie's not a Godzilla pastiche in the original game. Lizzie is a pastiche of the Emir from... 20 Million Miles to Earth, which was a Harryhausen film.
2: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. (laughs) I should watch that. I was not familiar with the name of the creature until you said that. The
0: Emir. yeah. That's never named. But I did an episode on it a few months ago. You should give it a listen. Absolutely. Yeah. So for the Harryhausen fans out there, that might be something worth finding and trying out. But if you, like me, are a fan of... Homestar Runner, that website, you've kind of played this game already. The Trogdor game that Homestar Runner had is insp- was inspired by ARG! Because it's basically the same thing. <laughs> you're, you're a dragon and you're going around and attacking villages and villagers and stuff like that.
2: Strong Bad is an important pop culture character. <laughs> he, he should be.
0: Of course he is. He is. And then there uh, another Godzilla game that he highlighted because it's weird is Godzilla Challenge 1 and 2 from 1987. It's a Takara light game and it uses footage of Showa era Godzilla films to, uh, for you know uh, that you play with a light gun. Cuz so you have a little crosshair mm-hmm. that'll pop up and you go pew pew you're shooting the kaiju on <laughs>
2: I, guess I mean, that carries yeah. over into now because the, the Shin Godzilla arcade game, you like fly a helicopter and shoot a Shin Godzilla. Yeah, but
0: that was like actual new animation and stuff. Like this is just the footage of the movies and you would just yeah, point I the gun and shoot at games. it
2: there's a western that was a game grumps episode that everybody thought was really funny that they put on the wii is like mad dog mccree or something where it's, it's just live action footage and when you click it it'll like the game will stop for a second and it'll play the like the scene that makes sense right so if you shoot a guy screen will jut guy will fall over yeah <laughs> i don't like that type of game design it's weird but uh, it was ambitious for the time it worked i guess yeah sort of and then there was a game
0: uh, called where time stood still unfortunately i didn't jot down any notes for that one but it well for what i remember it's a very pulpy uh, sort of game kind of you know like journey to a, the center of the earth journey to the thing. center of the earth yeah. sort of a thing and you know there's some big dinosaurs and monsters and stuff in it i you know, there will be links to the videos so that you can hear alex talk about it because he's going to talk about it more detail than us
2: and then oh, yeah, we'll hit the highlights between you know the two talks and the things we found.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it. This was a bit of a staple in my childhood. <laughs> Godzilla Monster of Monsters on the NES from 1988. It's a weird little side-scrolling action platformer.
2: Mm-hmm. It's is that quirky. the one that's got turn-based stuff in it too, or is that? The, no, the one no. The that US. was
0: that was the sequel.
2: Okay, yeah. That was the
0: well, sequel. They called it Godzilla 2, but it's a completely different game. That right, one was yeah. a ta- that was a turn-based tactics game that was incredibly difficult to win, at least when I was playing it. I actually preferred this one, but the you know there's a lot of stuff attached to that there's the it has a famous creepy pasta and things like that you know some urban legends kind of or maybe it's just the creepy pasta there is the
2: avgn episode about it right
0: right right and the but well, this was interesting the us version doesn't mention the developer at all in the game compile which that sort
2: of stuff irks me <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and compile may puyo puyo And interestingly, if you're a Tokusatsu fan, they made a game for Gunhead, which is an infamously bad movie from Toho, but that Gunhead game was released in the United States as Blazing
2: Lasers. Yep. Yep. On the TurboGrafx-16 is where that, that was like a pack-in, I think, for it.
0: Yep. Yep. So, like I said, there's a lot to talk about with Godzilla Monster of Monsters. I think it's fun. Like I said, it's quirky. And it's one of those mm-hmm. things where like some of the quirks of the game you would know about if you read the manual. I don't understand yeah, the subversion people those, have
2: to manuals. It's like a product of the, the 80s and 90s, right? Like because it was the only Godzilla game, like anybody who was really into Godzilla was attached to that game and they put a lot of time and effort into yeah. trying to figure it out, right? Yeah, so a in lot the of people S- have memories of it.
0: Yeah, in the United States anyway. Yeah, they're, be, they're mm-hmm. very attached yeah. to it. Then some other ones. From 89 and 99. Prehistoric Isle in 1930 and Prehistoric Isle 2. It uses. These games are wacky.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: It recycles some kaiju roars like Godzilla and Red King from Ultraman. The mm-hmm. boss in the first game, according to Mr. Rushdie, is a huge T Rex in a volcano because, of course. <laughs> and he said the second game is more kaiju focused and has a Lovecraftian monster in it. This one actually I mean, looks kind of interesting. I wouldn't mind trying this one. I will tell you, looking at these old games that mm-hmm. Alex was talk, talk, talking about, I just want to throw this out here. It's just like a random aside. Video game cover art was is a lost art. Yeah, th- those yeah, old covers
2: are amazing. There's some really notable like cover art in these things. But no, as far as Prehistoric Isle is concerned, it kind of falls into the category of like weird shmups. And that's a fun way to spend an afternoon, especially if you have one of those like modern portable handhelds, which yeah. I've got like a retroid pocket or whatever they're called, and you put emulators and stuff on them, and and so yeah. there's a lot like a huge collection of arcade games you can play on those things, and I have a lot of fun just scrolling through and and playing like the Mazen Kaiser or the Mazinger uh, shoot 'em up, which exists. And oh, Mazinger, kind yeah, okay. Mazinger
0: Z, e and is that what
2: I don't I don't know how you pronounce I always them, cool. I've
0: always pr- pronounced it Mazinger. But Uh, I'm a dirty, dirty uh, American.
2: So, regardless, like shmups in general are sometimes they can be really interesting artistic expressions because, I mean, it's a basic gameplay format for most of these. There's, you know, quirks to each one of them here and there. But uh, I've done a lot of shmup study here recently um, the Sikio collection on modern consoles. I have an II arcade, which has a couple shmups in it. And then the flip grip that you can attach to the Switch, which allows you to play the games vertically. That's great to play shmups on, and yep. that's how I would play any vertical shooter, preferably. Right. right. For those who don't know, can you say? Can you explain what a shmup is? It's a it's a poor man. It's shoot 'em up, and so okay. it's it's like it, it's not a great word either because arcade shooter or even the the subgenre of that like bullet hell games where you're like either a spaceship or a plane. Think Defender or even Space Invaders could be arguably considered early shmups but those games like either they're horizontal shooters or they're vertical shooters. And usually it's involving shooting a bunch of like really detailed sprites and robots and all sorts of weird manner of things. And the right. shmup as a genre is a whole, like there's a lot oh, of stuff in there <laughs> uh, for sure. For sure. And then the it's next one.
0: Yeah. And then the next one was Daikaiju Kaiju Deborah's this one. I'm actually a little curious to play 1990. It's a humorous Kaiju tactics game. The monster looks like Gomera from Ultraman. It's only available in Japan. It was on the Famicom, which was the Japanese version, we'll say, of the NES. And it involves moving an egg away from Deboris. Now, like I said, I would be curious to try this one. It looks fun. He said that it's not been fully translated yet. There are people trying to translate the game. So
2: He said it was only yeah, about 30% a, a lot completed. lot of that going on. I love emulation specifically because of fan translations. And it's like, it's a thing that is feasible for fans to do over time. Like there are so many games that we now collectively understand and respect in pop culture because they were added a bunch of different languages by fans, things like mother three, even primal rage Two. like without emulation, we would not have as much like love for those in the retro fan base. I think is mother three earthbound. Or is that a sequel? Correct, yeah. Okay. No, so Earthbound is the, the American name for Mother 2. Okay. And two. they retroactively in America and globally, they they call it Earthbound. So if we were to get a port of Mother 3, I imagine it would be called Earthbound something. Okay. All
0: right. So next up, we have a, 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 a King Kong pinball game that mm-hmm. is almost lost media. Almost. King Kong, <laughs> the 8th Wonder of the World 1990s, made by Data East which is Mm -hmm. a name I remember pretty well.
2: And combined with Midway, I think, there for a while.
0: Yeah, they it was unreleased, but they made nine prototypes. So it's technically not lost because people have them. Yeah, people have them. It exists. And they, according to Alex, uh, uh, according to Mr. Rushdie, I should say, because I got an Alex here. (laughs) According to Mr. Rushdie, each one of them plays slightly differently because they hadn't fully refined it yet.
2: Yep, I cannot even imagine what the game design looks like for pinball. Because I play a pinball machine and I'm like, ooh, it's fun when Mechagodzilla comes out of the thing and goes, yeah. but I do, like people who are into pinball, they really understand the game in a completely different way, and I imagine you'd have to have that as a designer. Basically, basically. And then the next one was Dino Wars. This is one I want to try.
0: And interestingly, this is a case of it was only released in the States. It wasn't released in Japan.
2: Is this that fighting game? That's got that like stop motion. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. Dino Wars destruction of Spondylus from 1990. It's an action platformer uh, akin to Mega Man. And if you compare anything to Mega Man, you're going to make me happy.
2: Oh yeah. 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 It's got a really iconic cover art to it where he's like, shooting a laser through the, Yep. Lots of really cool history to that image. Like I see it a lot whenever people talk about cool, yep. like NES box art.
0: Yep it's a, it's an NES game, and you take control of a kaiju who it was is controlled by a scientist in that one, and it just sounds just absolutely like early '90s, late '80s, just kind of you know sci-fi bonkers. And I would probably love every second of it. And then next up, we have one of the big ones. One of the big ones, nineteen ninety-one, King of the Monsters, mm-hmm. from S We were hinting at that a little bit before. We were talking about King of Fighters, but this was the first fighting game on the Neo Geo, which is a big deal, big deal. Because S and K became very well known for its fighting games, and the Neo Geo became very well known for fighting games with art of fighting they and King the of Fighters.
2: Hard, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a reason Terry is in Smash Brothers that SNK is really important to Japanese video game development. For
0: sure. And you know, this was, so basically this was their first fighting game. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's they say it's a fighting game, it actually reminds me a little bit more in terms of gameplay cuz I have played this one. You can get this is one of the ones you can go on a console and download right now for dirt cheap.
2: You can get a yeah, get, jump on your Switch eShop, King of the Monsters, 6 bucks a pop. Yeah. It's on everything, basically, mm-hmm.
0: and it it reminds me more of an arcade wrestling game.
2: And good lord, it is brutally hard. Well, I'm pretty certain the people who made it either made wrestling games, or there's some wrestling connection somewhere.
0: Right, right. But it has a lot of characters in it that are basically pastiches of yeah, uh, you know, of
2: classic kaiju. The there's a something guy, that the, continues the, today. A lot of the indies will talk about. They take elements from different. Like genres or characters, and smash them into other ones, or right. make like an interesting twist on that. Right. Like, there's a one in there that's basically a Godzilla pastiche. My
0: favorite one. One of my favorite ones is they have an Ultraman pastiche named Atomic Guy. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that did well enough. It had a sequel, King of the Monsters Two Ninety Two, which is really similar. It doesn't have as many characters, but they have beat 'em up stages that lead up to boss fights.
2: So yeah, and the the Kong sort of characters yes i love snk sprite work specifically they really did some awesome animation and character design back in the day right and then
0: oh my gosh this one <laughs> dino rex 1992 this is the dinosaur fighting game that wanted to be street fighter 2 and according yep, um, to mr rusty it failed hard <laughs>
2: There's a pretty famous video or at least a moment by Matt McMuscles, I think, where he plays this and calls it literally one of the worst fighting games he's ever played. And that guy has seen some garbage. (laughs) I wonder if it's going to be on that video series he's
0: been doing. Probably. It should be. It should be. But what's interesting about this, it's not a very good game for what I hear, but that since this is before Jurassic Park, the designs were inspired more by Harryhausen movies than by mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. So it's you know, kind it's, of at the very cool. tail end of, dino, of a, you know, a particular era of dinosaur design.
2: I mean, it's it's a very retro style thing. If you're into that, those style of films or filmmaking, I think it's probably worth a play. Yeah, I can imagine somebody who's really into collecting this sort of media, having this game and being really excited about it. Yeah, but it doesn't play very well. But a lot of so here's what's cool about fighting games that I've learned over the past like two or three years. If it exists and enough people like it, they will fix it. (laughs) <laughs> so there are games out there that have fan versions or patches or hacks or mods or what have you that will take the like the visuals and the general like frameworks of the design of a fighting game and make it actually like competitive and viable and interesting. Yeah. One of my favorites right now is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cross Justice League Turbo. Oh my which gosh. Basically takes the, the Super Nintendo Justice League game and the Super Nintendo Tournament Fighters smashes them together and creates one of the better 16-bit fighting games, period. Oh, wow. It's wow. great, and it's free. Go download
0: that. It's Hot super dang. Cool. Hot dang. But the nice, the interesting thing about this is that you think, well, it's a dinosaur game. Why is Mr. Rushdie talking about it about kaiju? Because there are hidden city stages. So they're mm-hmm. basically kaiju. Also, sense. the monsters in this, interestingly, were all made with stop motion. You know, they, they scanned stop motion models into the game, which she said, that was cool and all, but the next game did it better. Yeah, Primal Rage. Primal mm-hmm. Rage, 1994. Uh, it had stop-motion characters. This took place, uh, was it post-apocalyptic? I, th- I think it was supposed to be post-apocalyptic, right?
2: Eh, kind of a Stone Age thing. Like, yeah. eventually, I don't know what that a character. like it,
0: Primal Rage had a bizarrely complex mythology to it.
2: Yeah, there's a whole like process where like the the characters themselves are eventually worshipped as gods, and so it kind of like forces the world into a stone age, that or it takes place in the stone age.
0: I think it's supposed to be one or the other. To, <laughs> I think it's supposed to be apocalyptic, though. It was an arcade game. It got ported to all Apparently kinds of places. Film. There were toys. There was a tie-in novel that you know explained the sequel, and like there was it was a whole to do. I will be honest with you, Alex, I've played Primal Rage and coming from someone who's been playing fighting games for a really long time and has played a lot of retro Mm -hmm. fighting games, I had difficulty getting into Primal Rage because the controls were just weird to me.
2: I don't know if it, it's just because they have an age very clear. Or, or what? This is another one of those games that I'm pretty certain like dedicated fans have A figured out how to play the thing effectively and B, like gone in and made some hacks and stuff. The the issue with Primal Rage is it's notoriously hard to emulate. Yes. Based on the like certain chipsets it used in the arcade. Thankfully, the Primal Rage 2, which was Lost Media, was basically abandoned by Atari as it was, like, 90% done. And there's a whole, like, there's a lot of history on Primal Rage 2 specifically, recent history that's a lot of fun. But people have gone in and made it not only playable through emulation, but they've also made, like, fan versions of the cabinets. And you can play that at a lot of these, like, enthusiast arcades.
0: Right, right, right. And there uh, there is a copy of Primal Rage 2 that exists as an arcade cabinet. It is at Galloping Ghost in Chicago.
2: Yeah. And you ah, can, there's probably two or three of them.
0: Yep. And you can play a ROM on MAME,
2: mm-hmm. which, and what's interesting about primary specifically is they really tried to multi like market it. I had the toys growing up and I thought the toys yep. were awesome. Yeah,
0: it was, it, it was a whole to do. And by the way, MAME is a website where you can go download a, a whole slew of video of emulated is, video games.
2: So MAME is actually the name of the software. Oh, the software. Um, okay. it's, it's an acronym and it stands for, Something, <laughs> I yeah, I, I'm, I'm used to multiple thinking... arcade machine emulators. Okay, because I'm arcades used to are think... individual in a lot of sense, yeah. so this combines it all together, and so okay. you can make things work in a big list. But there are browser based websites that utilize things like MAME or MAME so that you can play them in the browser. And right. emulation is great, support emulation, and also support ga- uh, games and developers when you can, obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously, obviously. Yeah, and then he mentioned a
0: game called Death Duel. I didn't take any notes down on that. That was from 1992. Then Mm -hmm. in 93, you had Beast Fighter. No, not Bloody Roar. I mean, it sounds like it should be like a Bloody Roar knockoff, but...
2: I like Bloody Roar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But 1993, this was on a... I think he said it was a TIE console. And yes, this is the names that this thing had. The Mega Duck and the Cougar yeah, Boy. Mm-hmm. But then it was... It's like a,
2: a weird little handheld thing, right? Yeah,
0: but it eventually found its way onto the Game Boy. And the Game Boy had new characters and stages. Although I think he said it wasn't that good of a game to begin with. So, hmm. yeah. And then he mentioned Ultra X Weapons, which is actually an Ultraman game. Okay. He says it's an arcade it's an arcade game, and he says he's run it's across... one of those shmups, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's run across some arcade machines... Of this on rare occasions, but he's and he says every time he sees one, it's super popular and people are just constantly throwing quarters in it to play it. You pilot jets from various Ultra series, and you can summon Ultramen and fight Kaiju as bosses. It sounds really, really good really idea,
2: fun. honestly. Like because yeah. Shmup design, there that Masinger game that I was mentioning earlier, you play as like the little the little super robots, right? But I think you can play as a ship in that one. But the idea of you playing the ship and then being able to summon Ultraman for, like, special attacks, that's an awesome idea. It it is, so I'd love to give this one a try.
0: And then he mentioned Mm -hmm. another game that he's, it's called Godzilla Kaiju no Daishin Geki from 1995. It's on the Game Gear. I didn't take a lot of notes from it, but he's really loved this one, and he's like,
2: you guys got to find this one and play it. There's several of those, like, individual games that rusty specifically points out and says this is the one you should play. And we'll get into some of the, like not only harder to find ones, but some of the more modern things that are worth playing.
0: Right, right, right. And then he highlighted a handful of Gamera games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gamera, the time adventure from 1995. It was made by Bandai. It was on a console called the Pladia. That's not a
2: console. People talk about a whole lot. (laughs) No, it's the, I, is that the Bandai Namco one? Yeah, I think so. There, There's like seven games on that thing. <laughs> yeah. So this
0: was a sequel to the Showa Gamera series. About, it came out in 1995, same year as Gamera Guardian of the Universe. And interestingly, Ayaka Fuchitani, who I met a few months yeah. ago at a convention, the star awesome. of the Gamera trilogy in the 90s, the daughter of Steven Seagal. she is your guide in the game she's actually in the game and there's a trailer for guardian of the universe in the game Hmm. yep and then there was uh, a game he brought up he mentioned called it was guardian of the universe it was a game boy version he said it was an rpg battler i don't think he's played this one he just knows it exists Hmm. and then also a tie-in game also on the game boy Gamera Gauss Destruction Strategy. He says it's an RTS, and he says it follows Guardian of the Universe pretty closely. Now, this one, Gamera 2000. He said this is one that he says kind of legendary. It's from 1997, and this is actually one I am actually kind of interested in and in playing. He says it's basically, it's technically a three uh, a sequel to Gamera 3. It's a rail shooter in the style of Panzer Dragoon.
2: Yes, this was one that I wrote down to check out because it's on the PS1, so it means yep. it's easy to emulate, yep. and a fan translation likely exists.
0: Actually, he says it's already in English. Oh, it's already better. in English. A lot of the, there's a lot of voice acting and and footage in it, and he says it's all in English already.
2: Yeah, I will absolutely be looking up the ROM for that at some point.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then he mentioned this was the first of a series. It's a pretty long-running series that he highlighted, but it started in 97 called Azito. It's a base-building mm-hmm. tower defense game. It's only in Japan, but the sequels are noteworthy because there's multiple sequels to this, going all the way up to, I think, like 2015. And they have licensed characters in it from Tokusatsu and Kaiju.
2: Yes. All right. Yeah, It's it's got some interesting, weird little crossovers. It's, it's funny to see a lot of these developers, like, figure out an idea or like a spin on a genre and then make like monster style things. And then eventually get the license. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) This one is nutty. This next one is just crazy. Hakaio King of Crusher 1998. It's a PS one game. Here's your premise. You are a salaryman. If you don't know what a salaryman is, it's, you know, basically Japanese office worker, gets bitten by an insect and then he just takes all of his rage and frustration out on the city because it because the insect bite turns him into a kaiju
2: it reminds me in design of like katamari Damashi, where you're just slowly building the core premise so it's a destruction simulator like you're just you know kicking the hell out of cabinets and stuff and then by the end you're like a godzilla style creature and you're destroying buildings and stuff like that's such a cool concept
0: yeah he says that it's worth playing just because you have to fight the statue of liberty who shoots lasers at you
2: yeah statue of liberty ends up being a boss more often than you would expect (laughs) because it's also a boss in shredder's revenge (laughs) well
0: you this is true i mean you you can thank ghostbusters too for that but anyway next up there was a godzilla 98 pinball game made by sega pinball and it is a popular attraction at the G-Fest Game Room, and there is one at Galloping Ghost.
2: Makes sense. Like I mentioned with that other, like the modern take on Godzilla, pinball machines often are pretty good representations of their source material, especially like the artists. Right,
0: right. And then he actually said there's been a lot of games attached to this franchise, but surprisingly, this is the only game that actually does what you would think it would do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. neon genesis evangelion the famous or to some people infamous (laughs) anime one of the most influential anime ever 1999 developer was sandlot it was his n64 game Mm -hmm. and it was published by bandai he says he called it a fighting slash variety game and controversially
2: he said it changed the end of the anime Which is, uh, you know, the, the ending to Ava is something that has been a hot debate item for oh, yeah, ever since me. that aired. They did a movie. The, the new movies are fantastic, by the way. Go watch those. Yeah. But the Evangelion N64 is one of those, like, in my early emulation exploration... That was something I stumbled across, and I'm like, "Oh, sick! I can be the Ava, but it moves so slow, (laughs) and it's really hard to figure out how to control the thing." A better N64 mecha fight, I would say, is in Gomon's Great Adventure, which, in between side-scrolling acts, you get a uh, like a mecha fight. Right, right, and then Tagoki Mikazuki Trial
0: Edition. This is a based on a early 2000s Tokusatsu. It was mm-hmm. a mini series to this day is the most expensive Tokusatsu series ever made. Unfortunately, it failed at, uh, in the ratings department. So, this was a PS2 game. It was a third-person shooter and it exists only as a demo. Wild. The series bombed so they never finished the game, but you, apparently you can get the demo. Remember when demo discs, internet. remember when demo discs were a thing?
2: <laughs> I got a whole like container full of them. My gosh. <laughs> I think the demos in general are fascinating in themselves, but like, I love the internet and the fact that we have the ability to discover these things. Right. Because like, you know, 30 years ago, no, a, probably no one would have cared to look. And two, like, now we can not only like find this stuff and play it and preserve it and give it to others digitally, like, that is awesome. And yeah. I highly encourage if you discover lost media or something you think might be lost media, please get that into the hands of somebody who can like archive it. For sure. For sure. Next up in 2001,
0: we had Super Tokusatsu Tyson 2001. It's a turn based RPG. If you've heard of the Super Robot Tyson games, it's basically a Tokusatsu version of this. You can
2: yes uh, control uh, the different Super robot wars are really fun.
0: Yep, you can control the tokusatsu superheroes, and interestingly, their human identities.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Then we Oftentimes get to... they're represented by the ships, and so the characters will will pop up in conversations, but you're actually playing the ship usually.
0: Yeah, and then he uh, talked about a couple more Kong games. These were tie-ins with an unofficial kong animated series that was trying to cash in on the popularity of godzilla the series kong the animated series 2001 it's a game boy advance game he said it's basically poor man's donkey kong country
2: yeah they're not very good yep and then there was a sequel i forgot that existed until watching that talk though yeah like right they they did they tried to make kong a cartoon
0: yeah they did it, it wasn't even the first time. <laughs>
2: no. Yeah.
0: And then there was a sequel, Kong, King of Atlantis, which was tie-in with one of the sequel movies that I hear is infamous. Very mm-hmm. infamous. I haven't watched it yet, but I hear it's infamous. Also on the Game Boy Advance. Basically the same sort of a game. And then, got to talk about this one. Although I will admit when I play, uh, I used to, uh, I played this back in the day and it frustrated me and playing it now, it still frustrates me, but for different reasons, but I know people love it. War of the Monsters, 2003. That game is surprisingly fun. Yeah. Uh, it was on the PS, it was a PS1. It was an arena. three.
2: PS2 was a ps Yeah, it was PS2. It was like a launch title or launch window for PS2. Right, so I right, actually right. played this at like a Walmart kiosk, which is how I even know it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was made by Incognito Entertainment, who famously made Twisted Metal, which was a car mm-hmm. combat game, which tells you everything because the game plays, even though you're using kaiju, it plays like a car combat game.
2: It is a lot of fun to just like, you know, hang out with a mate and play that and explore the roster because you end up throwing like buildings and throwing each other around. It kind of feels like a like the modern Rumbleverse game where it's a 3D action game where you're exploring a city, but it's also got wrestling elements in it. Right, right. So the, uh, originally
0: this surprised me. The art style was grittier and darker, but they changed it after 9-11.
2: Yeah, that was the story that he, he specifically touched on in the talk. Which I and thought was that's interesting. that's fascinating, and I think it works better because the tone is, like,
0: Very it, it's 50s B-movie. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. but No, I, you can play that on PS4 now, too. Like, it's it's one of the few PS2 games that are just playable on the PS4. It's, like, 15 bucks.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can download it. I'm actually putting some thought into doing a, a stream uh, of the game one. Uh, sometime, There's a couple PS2 but,
2: games that are worth playing. I like that. Uh, yeah. like Rogue Galaxy, I think is one there, yep. and lots of stuff.
0: Yeah. Now, he says it was originally a, it was supposed to be a licensed Godzilla game, but they wanted to keep the creatures kind of more like classic King Kong size, so they weren't quite as big mm-hmm. as they can climb buildings and things like that. But Toho was like, "You got to make Godzilla 300 feet tall." And they're like, "Okay, we'll just make our own." He's,
2: he's got to be big. Brig
0: now he said that there was going to be atomica a fifty you know a fifty foot woman but she had to be cut because they couldn't make her feel big mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. interesting because when I played the game I'm like these creatures don't necessarily feel huge they feel like men in suits to me
2: Which i kind of like honestly that's something that the p s four Godzilla really kind of captures is the 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 like physicality of it
0: yeah although i for, not That game did not do very well critically, and then I never bothered to get it, and I kind of regret it, because now
2: it's stupid, Lost expensive. Media. Mm-hmm.
5: It
0: stupid expensive.
5: It is stupid You can't buy
2: it digitally, man. and people want an arm and a leg for it, It's and it's not even that great. Like, it's it's interesting, and it's a really interesting piece of, like, kaiju game history, but... Yeah. Uh, as soon as emulation is available or the, the jailbreaking of PS4s, <laughs> top of the list.
0: <laughs> Probably, yeah. Then we had Demolition Girl. I never knew about this game. Demolition Girl 2004. Hilarious. Not to be confused with Demolition Man.
2: No, that's a different thing. That
0: is a completely <laughs> different thing. But this is about a mod This is only in Japan, although you can't play the PAL version, apparently. Oh, on you know, uh, you know outside of japan but it's about a model who gets attacked and stung by an alien on the beach and then she wakes up as a giant yep i know that's every other week for you Jim. Uh, i almost called you jimmy You're jet your jet i'm so used <laughs> to jimmy being here i'm so sorry jet, jimmy yeah similar jimmy jet. jet jet jimmy yeah wait yeah <laughs> anyway it look to be honest when I saw it, he said it wasn't that good of a game, I looked at it and I'm like, why does this look like it's borderline hentai or something? I just Yeah,
2: it, it's kind of sleazy. It feels like a little sleazy. Yeah. Somebody in the that talk is not first of all, it's not recorded in the best fashion, but people also like interrupt Rusty in the middle of it. And I also made the the connection of it looks kind of like Mr. Mosquito, which is another weird little PS2 game that is kind of pervy in a way. <laughs> yeah, uh, was, that one
0: made me a little uncomfortable. I don't think I would want to play that one. But next up was, and apparently this is a bigger deal than I thought. I, I guess I missed out. I never got around to playing this. I don't remember it being all that critically acclaimed when it came out. And I've seen some people try to play it and it looks kind of annoying to play, but I guess I'm totally wrong, but Oh wait, no, this is the game boy version. We haven't gotten to that one yet. Excuse <laughs> me. This is the game boy Advance game. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world, 2005. It's an adventure beat up game. He says it's a lot like Zelda. And it is a tie in with Kong: five, but yeah. he said the one you really want to play is the next one. Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the
2: movie. Which is apparently the title. It is awesome and it is also delisted. So if you get that, you're probably going to want to pirate that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you have an old console. <laughs> right. If you have like, you know, a 360 copy laying around. Or I was PS2. actually curious, I was just doing some Googling earlier. If the PC version was the way to go, maybe, but it's not on Steam. So that's one yeah. you'd have to go find on abandonware or something. Yep, uh, it was made by Ubisoft. It's an FPS and beat 'em up because you'll switch between yes. the
0: human characters and Kong.
2: It was spearheaded it's got a bit of by Metroidvania the... Metroidvania in there. Huh? It's got a bit of Metroidvania in there okay. and how it like structures its puzzles. Like I said,
0: I must have really missed out on this, but it was spearheaded by the creator of Rayman, and was supervised by Jackson. Hmm. And. I wish I could remember the name of the creator of Rayman. He said it, but I don't quite remember. But what is crazy to me is he said that Ubisoft, a lot of the stuff that Ubisoft did in this game, they started doing in Assassin's Creed and Far Cry, which is their bread and butter right now.
2: And I think he was specifically mentioning, like the fact that Kong, while you're controlling him, you do these sections where you're kind of running through a stage and he'll like auto leap to certain climbing spots. I think that's probably what he was referring to. Right. And how that translated into Assassin's Creed. Right. Yeah, he, he also Michael Ansell was the creator of Rayman. Right. Uh, okay. Right.
0: And he also said that it has an alternate ending where Kong doesn't die. Oh my
2: gosh. <laughs> yeah. You unlock the good ending.
0: Yep. And the, the movie cast voices their characters. So basically it's one of the rare instances, according to him. He said it was one of the greatest kaiju games ever made. And he also said that, as far as movie tie-in games go, he said it's also one of the rare good ones.
2: Cause those it's are fascinating because the, the first-person shooter sections is almost like what you would want out of a modern-day Dino Crisis where it's like a Dino horror thing. It's it's genuinely terrifying in places. It's It's a cool little title. Yep. And then we come to one that I have some experience with.
0: I actually want to play more of these games. But Earth Defense Force you ever played an Earth yeah. Defense Force games? yeah the first one was 2003. Briefly. this one mm-hmm. is I gotta say this is a surprising game. I played it on the original Xbox. It was also on the PS2 made by a developer called Sandlot and it was just meant to be a you know a bar a budget game, but it got yep. so popular that it spawned a series. This is kind of a so bad it's good sort of a game. At least from what I remember, the original, where it is just embracing its schlocktastic premise, which is it's a, you know, it's a third person shooter. You're playing basically a Marine in the future where the earth has been invaded by giant bugs and giant robots, and you're just running around with insane weapons, killing everything.
2: It is the Dynasty Warriors equivalent to third-person shooters. You hold down the trigger, you shoot some ants, and somehow they made that work, and it's progressively kind of gotten better over the years. Yeah, yeah, because now they've started
0: adding things like mechs and vehicles and things that you can play as. It's kind of weird that it kind of started off as this kind of schlocktastic, so-bad-it's-good sort of a game because, like, when you play as, it's like the graphics are not great. And, but the gameplay is so stupid fun. Like, really just stupid fun. Like, even the reviewers were Mm -hmm. like, this really isn't that good of a game, but I can't stop playing it.
2: (laughs) The new ones are readily available on Steam and most consoles, but, like, in Earth Defense Force 5, like, you jump into a mech and you fight a kaiju. So, I mean, it's not just running around and shooting anymore. Like, you you do, like, a Pacific Rim style, like, bam. (laughs) Yeah, but the thing that's interesting is... This does have
0: a a pretty direct tokusatsu connection, but you got to really dig to find it because it's called Earth Defense Force. Well, Mm -hmm. there's a little Toho movie, and by little, I mean huge Toho movie from the 50s called The Mysterians, which is one of Jimmy's favorites. He would tell us that if he was here. But that's what it's called in the U.S. and internationally. In Japanese when you translate the title, it has the same Japanese title as this game, which is Earth Defense Force.
2: (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so a bunch of these are on Steam, and they're sometimes on sale. I don't know. There's certain groups that will pick one game over the other for various reasons, but this is a hell of a co-op game. Oh, it is. So if you're, like, into toku stuff and shooting various bugs and kind of just seeing ridiculousness, like... There's worse ways to spend an evening. Yeah, for sure. And then
0: there's so there's too much to talk about with this one, but it needs to be mentioned. I know some people. He says some people may not think of this as a kaiju game. As far as I care, it is a kaiju game. I have streamed this both for the uh, Extra Lives charity and for mm-hmm. the podcast because I think it counts. A remix of some of the music is the theme song for this podcast, Shadow of the Colossus, which has been remade several times. It was originally on the mm-hmm. PS2. It's been remade several times on both the PS3 and the PS4, made by Team Ico, music by Kowatani, who scored GMK and the Heisei Gamera Trilogy. It is mm-hmm. an absolutely wonderful game. You play as a guy who goes around and has to basically climb giants, colossi climb them and there's a grip mechanic in this game you climb them yeah that's, get to their that's weak the whole spot. thing yeah get to their <laughs> weak spot and stab them there's no like enemies in between you're basically it's you're traveling and having boss fights that is the whole game yep it sounds boring but it's wonderful and there's a lot of
2: I found that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on where people are trying to find hidden stuff in the game everywhere and things like that there is some recent developments in some of the hidden content and people connecting the dots to things. That's really cool. Yeah. So
0: just find the game and play it. Uh, you know, that's really all I'm going to say about it. It is it. It's well worth your time. Go watch the streams that I did for it. It's great. It's great. And now we come
2: mm-hmm. to a series that's near and dear to your heart, Monster Hunter. I love Monster Hunter, and that is another deeply important property in the trajectory of kaiju media, uh, especially now because Monster Hunter World is the best selling thing that Capcom has ever done. Yeah, Capcom period. still exists because of Monster Hunter. They certainly kept afloat in the Japanese audience, in particular. Like, there's a reason why every now and again, when you're watching an anime or something, that a character will be playing on a PSP. And usually they're playing monster hunter. Like it is a pop culture icon, uh especially in Japan. And it is more popular now than it's ever been. And it's a great place for that series. Yes. Yes.
0: Definitely better than the movie. But well, we do have oh, a Rathalos. Yeah. We do have a Rathalos here on the Island.
2: Hmm. So they make some there. really stellar toys right now. The SH monster arts line has started adding monsters from monster hunter. And yeah. So it's a cool. lot.
0: There's a lot of games for this. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Monster Hunter World is currently, you know, the big heavy hitter. It's the big one. Rise is the newest one on right, Switch. Right, right. Now the director and producers have said they want Godzilla and Geigen as bosses in the game. That would
2: be insane. <laughs> They've had either weapons or skins that reference kaiju stuff and Tokusatsu. Yeah, they said a lot uh, of the monsters were inspired by kaiju, like Destroya. Yeah, Devil Joe. I mean, is pretty much a Godzilla. He's got a laser beam breath. Be green. <laughs> yeah. big dinosaur.
0: Yep. And then next up, we had Kaiju Buster slash Power from 2009. It's a DS game from Bandai, action RPG. and it I was, wrote this one down. Yep. And it was made to capitalize on Monster Hunter, Earth Defense Force, and Ultra Galaxy, which was uh, the Ultra series at the time,
2: which There's was more focused on monsters. Huh? There's a bunch of Monster Hunter clones throughout the years, yeah. and there's one that's a Final Fantasy one that's really bad. <laughs> and I assume this might be one of those, but the fact that it has the Ultraman kaiju is pretty interesting, and that carries through to... No, Arisa, it doesn't Arisa. It
0: doesn't have uh, Ultra Kaiju in it. It was just made to capitalize on Ultra Galaxy because Ultra Galaxy was more monster-focused.
2: Oh, okay, gotcha. That yeah. one on the cover definitely looks like the horned one from Gold Ultraman. Goldberg. Yeah. Go up. Yeah. And then next up, this one sounds kind of fun. Admittedly, he
0: says it's a good party game, but it's called tank, tank, tank. Uh, I would love to find this
2: on the Wii U. Actually, yeah,
0: <laughs> it's on the Wii U. It's an arcade uh, bandai Namco. It's a multiplayer shooter. You in the Wii U version, you play as a tank. He says it's earth defense force light. You play as a tank fighting a Kaiju. But he said, what's fun is that in the Wii U version, the person who plays as The kaiju, which is a giant ape, you can actually take a picture of yourself and put your face on the giant ape.
2: There's a lot of really cool multiplayer ideas on the Wii U specifically, where it's like one player who has the gamepad thing and then everybody else has regular controllers or like a Wii moat. And there's a lot of really interesting things that only works on the Wii U for that platform.
0: Yep. Then there was eat them, which I had a friend who had this game, but I never really tried it. It's a rail shooter was a download only game. And now you can't really get it anymore. Unless you're goofy.
2: Nah, it, Well, I mean like a lot of the games that we've talked about, there are ways. Yeah. And if they're not available anymore, it's totally morally correct to find them.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. And then he highlighted a handful of Pacific rim games that you can't really get. Anymore, I played so, that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I did. I did too. One. Pacific rim, the game of 2013 made by Yukes, who's famously made wrestling games.
2: Again I, with the wrestling connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yep, yeah. You can play as Kaiju or Jaeger from the movie. It's delisted now. I never, I didn't like it as much as other games, but it was okay. Then there was Pacific Rim, the mobile game, around the same time. That he said it was a reskin of Infinity Blade, which he says is just touchscreen punch out.
2: Yeah, I mean Infinity Blade has its own fans, and as far as like mobile history, that's another deeply important release. But I mean, it it basically is just. A slightly upscaled punch out really yeah. big graphics for that time on yep. that one.
0: Yep. Then Pacific Rim breach wars, which you said was a puzzle game. That's, mm-hmm. that's really all you need to know about that. This one sounds kind of amusing attack of the Friday monsters, 2014. It's a DS game, a game made by millennium kitchen. It's part of an anthology series and it was made by a director who wanted to make a game about growing up as an Ultraman fan.
2: Yep. There's a whole genre. I've, this has come up a lot in my studies because a couple big SAS have touched on this genre. But there's a genre of games where you're basically like, they're, they're slice of life. They're very focused on like the nature of the area that you're playing in. But there's a recent Shinchan game that's this style of thing. And there's like a whole genre of these, right? right. And this Attack of the Friday Monsters falls into that, except for there's an ultraman scene and mystery yep. happening and yep. i think that's really cool. Yep. And then we had Tim Rogers and Hazel have touched yep. on these recently. Yep. And then we
0: had Gorodon 2013 made by Local Malito. It's a shoot 'em up. He said you I can just go to their one actually. you can go to their website and just download it. It's free. And then he, he brought up Monster Eye 1 and 2 from 2014 2019. It's a rail shooter and he, he said that there are fans. I think it's an arcade machine. There are fans in the machine yep. that will blow air at you to simulate the roars of the monsters.
2: So I did find the Guaradan that you mentioned yep. just a second ago. It's loco, Yep, A bunch of their stuff is freeware. You go to their website, you can play it there. They made Cursed Castilla, which is something that people might have seen on the eShop recently.
0: Yep. And then we had Deadly Tower of Monsters, which I do have sitting on my PS my PS4. It's a top-down shooter. The enemies are rendered as men in suits, props, and stop-motion animated characters. What's funny is there's a running director's commentary. So because it's supposed, to, basically, supposed to be a movie. And the,
2: I also wrote this one down
0: as like, "Hey, play this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the kaiju connection is more akin to '50s B movies, but it does have a giant ape, a King Kong stand-in, and a mecha chameleon. So mm-hmm. this is
2: available on Steam for just fifteen bucks as well. Yep.
0: And we've talked about this one already, but City Shrouded in Shadow, 2017, PS4. You know, so we talked about
2: that one uh, already. I wish we could play it. Yeah, um, eventually we will, and it will be likely through fan efforts and no one else. Well, you can't. The fans. game will. <laughs> the
0: game will work on US Playstations because they're not region right. You just won't under. You just unless you can read Japanese, you're just gonna be a little lost.
2: <laughs> yeah, eventually somebody will fan translate it or port it to PC or something like any of these like. Fan things, especially something like this that has Ava, Gamera, Godzilla in it. Somebody's gonna make that translation.
0: What's crazy is that you're like, how the heck did they get all those IPs into one game? Well, it's because the stipulation was they can't all be, they none of them could be in the same scene together.
2: (laughs) It wouldn't surprise me if said translation doesn't already exist.
0: No, you look into that. So then we had Into the Breach 2018, (laughs) a turn-based tactics game made by Subset Games, who also made Faster Than Light.
2: This game got a lot of attention when it came out, and rightly so. A lot of my colleagues in the critic space will point to this as being very, very good. Yep. If you're into tactics RPGs and mecha, you should give this a go.
0: Yep. And then 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim 2019, made by Vanillaware, who famously made, oh, what is it? Odin, Odin Sphere, Sphere. And mm-hmm. there was another game. Dragon's
2: Crown. Dragon's Crown, and right. a couple others.
0: Yep. It's on the PS4 and Switch. It's an action, it's an adventure real-time strategy game. It look he said that this, this one got this one was a big deal when it came out, got a lot of attention. It
2: does look It's a cool. slow burn, so be prepared if you're into games that have a long tail to them. Definitely leans more on the visual novel side and I don't think the RTS side is very fun, mostly because it just lacks the artistic direction that the visual novel stuff does. But either way, it goes some really cool story beats. The characters are well thought out and designed. And a lot of it focuses and hinges on, like, giant monsters, mecha, time travel. So a lot of good stuff in there. Right, right. And now we're getting up to pretty close to today.
0: <laughs> and we're getting some more arcade games in here. This was another one by Raw Thrills. King mm-hmm. Kong of Skull Island VR. And an interesting thing about Raw Thrills is that they're made up of f- former Midway employees. This is how extensive this game sounds insane. I bet it's expensive to play. Like if you find one of these machines, it's at a day, he says it's at Dave and Buster's. If you find one of these, it's it's gotta be like $5 a play or something like that, because this is total immersion here. It has 4K VR headsets, in-seat speakers, motion seats, air jets, and hand Mm -hmm. sensors that let you interact with Kong and the other monsters.
2: We're seeing a really interesting intersection between VR and arcade right now because a lot of people cannot afford VR, so they go experience it at an arcade, right? Thankfully, there are some affordable options, things like the PSVR, arguably affordable if you already own a PS4, and then the meta quests. I've been doing a little bit of VR play recently. It's fascinating, but it certainly is not at, like, consumer level as much as you would want, and so these arcade options, I think, is really fascinating. Right.
0: The interesting thing about this is that... It is actually an adapt This is not a tie-in to any of the movies or anything. It's an adaptation Mm-mm. of Joe DeVito's Skull Island books and comics.
2: That's really cool. It's kind of like how the the new Power Rangers fighting game is very much leaning on the comic works of like Boom Studios. Yes,
0: yes. Battle for the Grid. I'm I'm very familiar. And then we we had the pinball, the Godzilla pinball machine you talked about. Good. Yep. <laughs> <Play> <laughs> which, has the the which has been at the which has been at the G Fest game room. So we've talked about that already. I
2: believe Serge Tankian's version of Go Go Godzilla. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And then you had Ultraman Kaiju Rumble 2001, which is Ultraman's first pinball machine. Got to be kidding me. Took him that long. They finally made an Ultraman pinball machine. The art Mm -hmm. was done by Matt Frank, the famous Matt Frank. And then he brought up a game called Gig Apocalypse, which is pretty new. Oh, no, these these are upcoming. Is these the upcoming games? No, these are not the upcoming games. But Gig
2: Apocalypse, I think these game. are. Yeah, this is out as of July 2021.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, these were upcoming when he was making that first video. So Gig Apocalypse yeah. at Adventure RTS, and then Kaiju you can get Wars. Get this on Steam. Ten yep. bucks. Kaiju Wars, which I've heard some people talk about, but it did kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit made by foolish mortals. He says it's Advance Wars meets Godzilla, so it's basically that Godzilla 2 NES game for the modern day.
2: I think the issue with Kaiju War specifically is it just doesn't have as compelling of an art style because it's it's like a smaller pixel sprite than you might expect for like a Kaiju game with these really detailed character arts. Right. So I I've heard there's a lot of depth in it like he mentions and it does currently have a very positive rating on Steam.
0: Right. Now, he mentioned some lost games. For the sake of time, as much as I'd love to talk about those, I'm going to skip over those, but you can read the little notes I have or go to uh, in the blog yeah. and watch the video where he talks about it. But just to let you know, they talk, he talked about the infamous Colossal Kaiju Combat, the purported Rodan NES game, mm-hmm. Project Giant Robot, which was going to be on the Wii
2: U, that a rep- might still exist, I think. Or no, that's the Nintendo one. I'm yeah. thinking of the Platinum Games one.
0: Yeah, the, the, there was going to be a Reptilicus VR game, which is just nuts. And my friend Damon will be happy about that. He would play that in a heartbeat, although the crazy thing about There's that several. one... Huh? There's several
2: VR kaiju games.
0: Yeah, yeah, although what was going to be crazy about that one, I'll mention this really quick. It was supposed. You were supposed to... If you were Reptilicus, you were going to have to wear a full body suit in order to do it, which just sounds crazy. VR
2: is not accessible for most people, especially when you add stuff like that in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's fun and though. then and then there was a Kaiju Connect game that was shown in a presentation for Kinect, but the mm-hmm. game never came about. So, you know. Probably
2: again for the best.
0: Yeah. So anyway, you know, there's stuff that we'll have to skip over, unfortunately. But then he mentioned some upcoming games. So Terror of Hemosaurus
2: which this I did. is out uh, like recently, yeah. I, and this is this is good. I've heard. Yeah, it's basically modern day rampage. Yeah, and it's it's made by some really like talented indie devs. You can play as a sloth. Like this is the one that out of the the new wave indies, aside from Giga Bash, which I want to get because you know Godzilla's coming to it. This is probably the the big indie right now to check out. A, Obviously, Dawn of the Monsters is a big one. That's oh yeah, really yeah, good. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, Dawn of the Monsters. I can't praise Dawn of the Monsters enough. I did I, we I did streams on it. We play. We did a stream together on the game.
2: I wrote the review on it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was So a lot of fun. it is
0: is absolutely fantastic. That's Mr. Rushdie's game, and you know we interviewed. But Alex. I think that
2: Terra of Hemosaurus might end up being a bit of a hidden gem because a lot of my colleagues have started like praising it recently and say it's it's a ton of fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll have to look. I might look into that a little bit. And then Gigabash, which is, yep, you know, it's kind of the successor to the Pipeworks Godzilla games, but now Godzilla's yeah, going to be in it, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. Rushdie compared it to Power Stone, which I think is an interesting comparison. That's kind of one of those little cult following games that everyone wishes there was another one.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because we have like Power Stone 1 and 2, a couple clones here and there, and then like a One Piece game on the GameCube was definitely a Power Stone clone, but people want that. So might be something that comes up again. I think in Capcom leaks, there was a big one a while back, and a lot of those points have been true. I'm pretty certain Power Stone was on that short list. Yeah, and then this
0: one just came out, but Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher, which is Monster Rancher with
2: Ultra Kaiju, I want to try this. If it wasn't fifty dollars, I would play it.
0: Yeah, you can download it on the Switch, but and you can't get a physical copy. But and the thing is, is the physical copies. If you want a physical copy, you can go through like Play Asia to get it, but mm-hmm. they're already in English, so you don't have to worry about that. Though so there's already English support for it. So
2: a lot of physical prints of games like this have started at in English because they know people will import it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then this is one of the weirdest ones I remember when this came out and I started seeing stuff pop up for it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Although this is not the first of its kind. There are other ones. Just let that sink in. That's how weird this is. There are other examples of this. Kaiju, which is Mm -hmm. a Kaiju dating sim. There's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. This I is know just at least th- a few. This is just the new, this is just the newest one and it's got some pretty good production values and night and a cute art style and things like that. I don't know
2: what to think of it, to be honest. I mean, if, if it exists, there's a dating sim and yeah. it's usually in situations like this, it's usually really funny. I think this one in particular, I think I follow the developers on Twitter. They're really witty people. So it's <laughs> probably worth a playthrough, especially if you're like, man, I want to play some Kaiju games and you've hit the bottom of the barrel. Or if you want something like really different, it's yep. certainly a place to check out. Yeah. Where, uh, where is it available? Is it just steam? Right uh, I don't know if Kaiju is out yet.
0: Uh, that could, it might still be coming up,
2: but then it is on steam. Okay. Yeah, it's out. It came out as of September of this year.
0: Okay. But then this one, I really want to see more about this. I was excited Ooh. when I saw this. It's supposed to be part of the superhero trilogy. And the first one of which was Beautiful Joe. And I love Beautiful Joe. Beautiful Joe was inspired by Common Rider. Mm-hmm. The, uh, then the second Very one, fun. which was,
2: what was it? The Wonderful 100? Wonderful 101, wonderful, which was recently reported to modern consoles,
0: which is great. I would, i actually like to try that one. That one was inspired by Super Sentai. This one is inspired by Ultraman. It's only known right now as Project GG, which is probably the a last code update
2: name. was March 2020. And if you go to the Platinum Games website, it is still listed on something they are working on. So they just put out Bayonetta 3. Bayonetta 3 has moments that are kaiju fights, like monster v. monster. And so that style of gameplay very well could end up in Project GG. So yeah. and keep an the, eye on Platinum. Yep. The
0: trailer looked really cool. It basically looks like A kaiju shows up, tears up a city, and then what appears to be an Ultraman pastiche shows up Mm -hmm. to
2: fight it. I really want to play this game. So bad. Platinum's super cool, man. The best things they put out are the Nier games, and Nier Automata is like, one of the greatest games ever made if you're into games because of what it says about games. Like, you will feel things in that game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. But yeah, that is my entire list. Like I said, we skipped over the, the Lost game section, but there was stuff to say about there, but I'll leave those notes in there. and Maybe this is something that you and I can talk about on Forever Classics, Lost Kaiju Games. That might be a fun I topic. think that
2: doing a quick run through of like several of the most recent Kaiju titles would be a lot of fun. But I want to toss a hidden one at you, which I think is a bit of a spoiler. So move forward if you don't want to talk about or hear about a very specific camera game. The game is called Umorangi Generations. It was another one that was like critically acclaimed. It's available on most things. It is a photography game that does have kaiju elements. I don't know to the extent, but it is technically a kaiju game. <laughs> All Are there any others that we missed
0: that you want to mention?
2: No, not really. I mean, you kind of start getting into the weeds when you're looking into this sort of stuff. Giga Bash getting Godzilla, I think is a big deal. There's still a dedicated fan base to the Godzilla Save the Earth style games. And I believe that if it doesn't have rollback, then it probably will be getting rollback soon. Like there are people out there playing it. And much like I said, with some of the other fighting games, people are like making it more competitive and more fun than it was initially. So if it exists and you like it, there's fans out there probably doing cool with it. All
0: righty. Well, let's move on and wrap things up all righty that was a wonderful discussion thanks again alex for helping me out with that you're, Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, you're an actual gaming journalist. I'm just a gamer. So, <laughs> hey,
2: there's the only difference between the two of us is I write about games more often than not.
0: <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. But I wanted to share a little bit of listener feedback that we got here. These are more comments off of the YouTube channel where we have the YouTube versions of the podcast episodes. So both of these comments are from episode 63, King Kong versus Godzilla, which had my friend Alyssa Sharpentier, who goes by Alyssa Goji Geek on, and he wrote in the first one, I found it funny that Alyssa disliked the King Kong vs. Godzilla Godzilla suit because of its resemblance to a lizard. That suit is my favorite. King Kong vs. Godzilla was my first Godzilla movie. I saw it in 1975. Back then, all the Dinosaur Kids books depicted dinosaurs with lizard and snake-like appearances. Grab a copy of... Dinosaurs, A Little Golden Book. I think I might have had that, actually. <laughs> the book's artist, William D.J. Rutherford, took this to an extreme. I also found her preferences cool because it shows how long Godzilla fandom has been around to the point where it's generational. What do you think of that particular suit, that particular Godzilla design?
2: Hmm. I mean, it's, it's not my favorite in that era, uh, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're certainly like, I have a nostalgic connection to that film. I think a friend brought it into like our kindergarten class, or, I remember somebody in, in a classroom putting it into the VHS and it being a big deal that we were watching Godzilla in school. So yep. you know, yeah. it was that movie. All right.
0: And then he had another comment on the same episode. He said on the topic of who won, Oh boy, <laughs> that debate, Godzilla or Kong, Michael Keller, co editor of Monster Attack Team, wrote an interesting article called What's the Score? His article was reprinted in G Fan number 10. In it, Mike gives six reasons why he believes Godzilla won. Uh oh. My favorite reason is number six, which is that in Monster Zero, the kaiju battle ends with all the monsters falling into the sea. The one who emerges and goes away was deemed the loser. That would be King Ghidorah. The same thing happens in King Kong vs. Godzilla. The monsters fall into the water and Kong emerges and goes away. So if the same criteria that is used to determine the winner in Monster Zero is used in King Kong vs. Godzilla, then Kong would be the loser. I'm sorry, Neil. I love you, but... You're wrong. (laughs) I I disagree with that entirely because I don't think you can necessarily apply the same criteria from one movie to the next. It's pretty obvious that Kong is supposed to be the winner in that movie. It's pretty funny whenever they
2: try to make things at least a little ambiguous because it does create that, like, buzz, right, of, like, oh, who actually won? And then you get the option to throw in, like, deleted scenes or whatever. Oh, yeah,
0: for sure. For sure. So... Are you in agreement?
2: <laughs> Who is it's the winner in that movie? It's been a long time since I've seen that one. <laughs> but I, I do remember Kong getting electric punches, I think, at yep. one point. And so he was kind of the hero in that story. And Godzilla gives him his veggies. And there's some iconic <laughs> moments in that movie. Eat your vegetables. I love that meme. He's like, you have a low-fiber diet. I
0: have a solution.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with that. But okay, Mr. McCumbers, I know you love anime, because now you gotta tap into I your do. inner anime character for the next segment. That being the Patreon shout outs. <laughs> go
5: show Aku wo
2: Travis Alexander. Michael Hamilton. Danny Tamana Eli Henderson, Chris Cook That would be uh Damon Noise
0: Bex Remy Redeemed Dataku The Cellcast Eric Anderson!
2: Ted Williams Wincha The Ninja Brad Batman Edelman Tofu Fury. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like I need to be like s- slicing a tuna with one of those big sword
0: things. <laughs> uh, either that, or you just got to the end of the game and have all your power up. So you are just unstoppable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Fueled by tofu.
0: <laughs> Fueled by tofu. But speaking of power-ups, that was a terrible transition. Ah! Shut up, Jet. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But I need to preview our next couple of episodes, our next several episodes. Nice. We have an MIFV Max Patreon-sponsored episode coming up from my friend Michael Hamilton, who is my co-host on The Power Trip, A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise. And he has requested to bring on our mutual friend, Danny DeManna, who's been on a lot of episodes of this show. He wants to talk about a nos- an obscure, nostalgic cartoon. We're going to be looking at five episodes of Dino Saucers. Have you ever heard of Dino... <laughs> that look tells me, no. nope. <laughs> I had never but heard I- of it either. Like, congratulations, Michael. You are one of five people who are nostalgic for this thing.
2: might be the show that one of the Smash players I ran into referenced in his name, and it's very funny.
0: Okay. Well, take a look at that. And then I'm going to do, I want to say it's going to be more like an interview episode, but I'm going to do a bonus episode since we have five Wednesdays in November. I -hmm. will be interviewing Danny along with our friend Elijah Thomas, who is a fellow podcaster he well yeah co-hosts the kaiju conversation podcast runs et13 productions on youtube and interestingly both of them were in the very schlocky indie kaiju film recently released by srs cinema zillafoot fun (laughs) yes which has cover art that makes it look infinitely better than it really is
2: they do that sometimes with B-movies. Like the, the all the ones that you see on Walmart shelves that are like yep. knockoffs of popular ones. The, the cover art's usually pretty good. Yep. So basically,
0: as the name would tell you, the monster is a hybrid of basically Godzilla and Kong. And he fights an Ultraman pastiche at the mm. end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of insane. It's kind of insane. But we also, I have to talk about this amerikaiju has its finale at least in the mainline series and what else could we talk about we're kind of breaking the chronological rule but this is quite possibly the most important next to maybe like the original king kong quite possibly the most important american monster movie ever made jurassic park
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say Rampage. No, no, we already (laughs) talked about it. You're right. Jurassic Park is deeply important to kaiju culture.
0: Oh, yeah. So much so. And I'll be bringing on my friend Bex from Redeemed Otaku, the podcast Redeemed Otaku, to talk about it. She not only loves anime, as the name of her podcast would tell you, but she also loves Jurassic Park. Nice. And my pseudo-sister will be very happy to have her bestie here. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yippee-skippy. They're just going to be like girling it up so hard before we get here i'm gonna be drowning in estrogen it'll be awesome (laughs) uh yeah Uh, hopefully hopefully so yeah we got a lot to look forward to we're gonna be it's weird to think that we're coming to the end of season three of the show the end of 2022 feels like it just flew right by man have has it been a crazy year I feel like I say that every year, but it's been crazy.
2: this. The year. past few have been wild, man. Yeah, they have <laughs> like, been.
0: They have good been. grief. Yeah. But now we come to another very important segment of the show, Shameless Self-Promotion. So I've already mentioned it. Go listen to The Power Trip. Also go listen to my other podcast, Henshin Men, a podcast about the appreciation of, of Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and eye-kicking adventures. And go check out my author website, NathanJSMarchand.com. I'm done. Go.
2: Wait. (laughs) Do you have another book coming
0: soon that I don't know about? I'm always working on books.
3: (laughs) Okay.
2: But nothing like in the release window stage, right?
0: Not quite. No.
2: Okay. Cool. (laughs) <laughs> I got to get me one of those. You got to get a lot yeah, of them. <laughs> so you can find me pretty much everywhere if you just look around for Alex McCumbers because nobody else has my name that I know of. Foreverclassicgames.com is kind of the anchor point for all my journalistic practices. You might have found my name recently on popularmechanics.com. I did some Ooh. lists for them over the holidays last year and I assume that we'll get to do that again this year. I also showed up on the Outer Haven recently to talk about the JoJo fighting game. And then I've been like mentoring a, a bunch of really cool writers at the forever classic games. And so we have new faces and they're doing exceptional work. We've got all sorts of really cool reviews and stuff on there. And we're starting to dip our toes into podcasting again. And we started doing like video reviews. And the, the big thing that you'll probably see involved with me comes from my last work at black ice Esports, which no longer is this. I have been showcasing Minnesota's various fighting game tournaments and stuff as a streamer. So I'll grab my kit, bring it all in, set it up and get a video feed. And so we'll run tournaments at like conventions or various other events. And that has been a really fun part of my life recently. I've done a lot of commentary. And so we covered smash bros, third strike did a little soul caliber two, which I adore. We we've done like, you know, mortal Kombat and the newest street fighter. And we're look forward to street fighter six and Tekken eight. Tekken seven has been huge in Minnesota. A lot of great tournaments for that. So, yeah, fighting games have been a huge part of my life in the last couple of years, and I hope that continues. Yeah, yeah, we need to play some more fighting games, man. <laughs> I need to get good at, like, 18 different fighting games.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Once we're done here, I got a little time to kill. Oh, let's go do some practice. Why not? I got a PS4. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, I know Jimmy's not here, so, Jet, I hope you can handle this. You know what, Jet? Just push the dang button and cue the credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault. And on Twitter, where our handle is, at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter, at NASAJimmy, and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical NonsensicalLexus which is a remix of Counter-Attack Battle with the Colossus and The Opened Way Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! Nate Marchand, Personal Journal. The conversation at the legal action team after work didn't go how I wanted. Jet Jaguar's so loyal, he makes a dog look like Benedict Arnold, so he followed me there. Just though, eh, Gary had to bribe her with a free legal consultation about how she could sue Winter and get her old job back. He tried to explain that it didn't work quite like that, but it was the only way to get her there. After I recounted my conversation with Mr. Gold, Raymond said he'd have to go to hell and back to get the information needed to take Winter down. And that meant paying a visit to the Scottish Devil. Fifteen minutes later, all five of us walked through the doors of the island's new tavern.
1: Well, 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 look what Nessie dragged in from the boggin' loch. I grated a sigh through my clenched teeth. Welcome to Nessie's Brasserie. It's me little piece of home and sanctuary from all the weirdness on this crazy island. He wasn't kidding. This pub reeked of hominess. The furniture was carefully constructed, and
0: the smell of beer froth and made-from-scratch food saturated the air. Of course, an entire wall was dedicated to news clippings and artwork of the Loch Ness Monster, one of the few kaiju not relocated to the island despite the
1: board's efforts. It was easily the most European-looking place at the Monsterland Resort. Bonnie lass, come here and take these mostly fine people's orders. A young... Pretty redhead wearing a red plaid
0: dress came running over and pulled out a pad of paper and a pen. Seriously? That's her name? Is she a Scottish stripper? Baka!
1: Shut your mouth, don't besmirch Bonnie's good name. But I'm not Scottish. Well you could have fooled me. Now, I always like to play this little game with first-timers. I pride myself on me knack for reading people. So I'm gonna I guess each one of your favorite drinks, and lovely Bonnie here is gonna serve them to you.
2: Such is my life as a bar wench.
1: We're not here to drink. Well, then the first round's on the house, except for you, Mr. Marchand. Oh, good Godzilla. Raymond, you're the only person on this cursed island I can trust besides myself and Bonnie, and you're also a man after my own heart. You are definitely a Scotchman, Jim Crackers, that's right! Bonnie, one twenty-year-old Scotch on the rocks for the bloody lawyer.
4: Just how I like it. Wow. That's almost as old as me.
1: Oh Gary, you overwork psychic. You like things simple but popular. Well, I'm one of those. <sighs> Kill me now. So you would like the island staple. I have it on good authority that it's that three-headed beastie's favorite, too. So I'm going to serve you a blue Hawaii. Wow, he's good.
0: Or he has all your receipts from when the board was spying on us all.
1: The drink price just doubled for the nerd at the end of the lane. I Now, as for you, little Jesse, are you even old enough to be in here? That's been an
4: ongoing legal debate since she returned to the island. You see, chronologically, she's only two years old. But physically, she's approximately 20, according to island scientists.
0: Which is the legal drinking age in Japan.
4: Aw, thank you, Gary. Don't mention it. Please,
0: ever. Then it's a good thing I'm here to supervise her. I do
4: not need a babysitter, Baga.
0: Your shenanigans say otherwise. Ah, you threw pretzels at me?
1: Only because I know you love them. Now stop harassing my patrons, Mr. Why you? So, little Missy, have you ever gone drinking before?
4: Uh, no, actually. I just sing karaoke at taverns.
1: Hmm. We always have karaoke on Ladies' Night every Wednesday. Come by next time and make sure to bring your brother. Listen here, you son of a! Oh, come now, Mr. Marchand. Don't get your pantaloons in a twiddle. I was only joshing you. Ladies' Night's actually on Fridays. Raymond! Are you sure he's the only one who can help us?
4: Affirmative,
1: Marchand. Now, as I was saying, Jesse, you're a sweet young lass.
2: Thanks for noticing, boss. I never asked for a sister.
1: Shut your post, Bonnie! As I was saying. But I also know from my time on the board that you can really cause some damage. So you might like something a little sugary with a kick to it. So how about a Nessie's Brasserie specialty, the pestar Fruit Duckery.
4: I have no idea what that is, but it sounds delicious.
1: One sip and you're out cold. She can hold her liquor better than you, you twit.
3: <laughs> He's not wrong.
1: Laugh it up, fuzzball.
2: She's not a bearded lady,
3: right?
1: Now, as for you, Mick Jaguar. You're a bloody robot, I can't serve your kind here.
5: I drink, and I know things.
1: What the f*** is wrong with him, and don't interrupt me, you bloody robot!
0: He has a traumatized AI stuck in his head. He keeps it under control for the most part, but sometimes he has...
1: episodes. And post-credit scenes. Oh really? I have to say this now. Jet suddenly started spinning around like a drunken madman.
3: I elect myself the new leader of the ancient astronauts, build pyramids in Egypt and then leave behind subtle traces of it, it,
5: it,
3: it, it <coughs> Rare of the blob, it creeps and leaps, firmly and glides across the floor at and all around.
5: Go home, Jet Jaguar, you're drunk.
1: I don't know what just happened, but I'll have exactly what he's having. Are we done here? No, because I'm not done with you yet, Mr. Marchand. You kinda hold your liquor, so your favorite is probably something like a skinny blast margarita or a Shirley Temple. No, I got it. I'll serve you an apple teeny. With a little wee umbrella. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a girly man. You said it, he
0: didn't. Don't you side
1: with him. Just pointing out the obvious. Actually, Mr. Marchand, I don't think you're a pansy, which is why I'm going to give you our newest alcoholic creation. Bonnie, put down a shot into space for my uptight friend here and make it double the space.
2: Sure, boss, but zero times two
1: is still zero. Just like his IQ. Raymond, I told
0: you this was a stupid idea. This naughty Scotty tried to kill me with
4: Yeti. That's true, Marshan. But there's no precedent for using a bad movie as a murder weapon. Yeti? Ha <laughs> ha! I made a funny.
1: Ha! <laughs> now that's a good one, Ray.
4: Tell me that again and I'll send you to the slammer myself.
1: Ooh, I stand corrected. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
4: But more importantly, Marshan, trust me, he's the only one who might help us.
1: Oh, you don't say now. <sighs> we do. Hmm. Bonnie, can you give us a wee bit of privacy, please?
2: Sure, boss. I have more Alkis to serve anyways.
1: So, what can I do for you fine people? And neat.
4: Well, you see- Gary has to help me with some legal advice. I do? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I do. Baka can catch us up on what you all decide to do. We'll be over at that table. You can bring our drinks there.
0: Just grab Gary's arm and pull them toward the corner booth.
4: Come on, Gary! Uh, okay, I'm not sure I upload all the files to the cloud, but...
1: Oh, young love, it's so beautiful. She wishes. So, what kind of help do you need? Spill
4: the beans, (sighs) Marshand.
0: We've been trying for months to connect all the weird events on the island in the last year
1: to winter. Oh, you don't say? I'm not a fan of that bastard either, but what makes you think he's up to all of it? We have some
0: inconclusive circumstantial evidence. I found some files on a project the board abandoned that seems similar to the unknown kaiju that the Drifters killed with their Jaeger.
1: Project Chimera? Yeah. I know of it. What else you got? Raymond and I spent the next few minutes detailing
0: Winter's demand for Mighty Joe's blood, heat suspicions about the genetically altered dead giants, all the shenanigans with the blob, Mr. Gold's deal with Hannibal Chow, and all the other crazy things that have been happening this year.
1: I know most of those things are what the board discussed doing, at least before Winter took over. Looks like the white-headed muggins stole their ideas, but most rich tycoons do.
0: That confirms our suspicions.
4: But it won't mount to a hill of beans in court. It's his word against Winter's. I'm good, but my quality of lawyering can't stand up to Winter's quantity of lawyers.
1: But how do we get hard evidence? Well, it's a good thing you came to me, you knave. Huh? Gah. But first, I need you to do me a wee favor. (sighs) What's that? Winter fired me so fast I forgot to grab something near and dear to me heart. Bring it to me and you'll have your evidence. What is it? A bottle of Lagavulin 30-year-old scotch. It's my favorite.
0: Crackers, that's the good stuff. Hold on. You're sending us on a
1: fetch quest for booze? No, I'm sending you on a fetch quest for booze.
0: What the f***? It's
1: like a reflex with him. (laughs) I'm not doing this. Then you'll need to be luckier than a leprechaun to find any evidence there, won't you?
0: Who says? I could do this without you. On my own. Marchand,
4: listen to yourself. You're talking like a copper who's been undercover with the Trouble Boys for too long. No, I'm not. Take it from the shyster who used to work for the board. You're starting to sound just like them.
1: Listen to him, because even I'm starting to agree with him, Mr. Marchand. (sighs) Alright. Where is the Scotch? Oddly enough. It's in the boardroom. Mother (laughs) Language. Mr. Marchand, this is a family establishment.
4: It'd be easier breaking into Fort Knox. Even I didn't have the clearance to go in there.
1: And the levy heed in charge made sure to revoke my security access. So I can't do it myself. Do we know anyone who does have access?
4: Marchand... Don't you? Uh, me? You're the Media Master and Tourism, Director. It wouldn't be strange for you to be there, right? Uh,
1: well, uh, maybe? Alright, it's settled. Mr. Marchand. bring me my Lagavulin 30-year-old Scotch and you'll have your evidence. You really expect us to trust you? You want to nail the dafty punk in charge or not? Yeah, but- It's locked in the Hinoki cabinet. You'll need a keypad passcode to open it though.
0: What's the code?
1: The name of the biggest pain in my arse.
0: That's helpful.
1: You're a smart guy. Figure it out. And what if I don't? Just bring me my booze.
0: The redheaded waitress walked up to us.
1: Here you go, boss. Oh, thank you, Bonnie. Give it to this gentleman and the idiot.
2: Can you say that in English, boss?
1: I just did.
0: (sighs) I'm not drunk enough for this mockery.
2: I can mix you another drink, but my tip just quadrupled.
0: But Big Willy 3 already doubled the price of my drink. I'm straight.
2: Yeah, and he pays me, like, three dollars an hour.
0: I opened my wallet and slapped a wad of cash in her hand. Shut up and take my
1: money!
2: Yahtzee!
1: Oh, a bunch of flogging nerds.